everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mega Talk Shogun. This is Mega Talk's podcast where we review the FX series Shogun and a little bit the books. I am your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer Spencer. How are you? The level of excitement has not gone down, sir. We're talking Shogun. We're talking Shogun on our podcast. What world are we in? Oh, it's fantastic. We're talking Shogun. Really good episode, too. I felt like a lot to talk about, a lot to dissect. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We had a a really nice uh, response to our episode one, which, um, you know, basically just gave us some accountability for episode two. We said, okay, <laughs> people are listening. Let's make sure we do episode two the day we said we're going to do it. So this is getting out Sunday. This is the the premiere week of Shogun, right? Where they did two episodes from here on out. It'll mm-hmm. be one per week. So we'll get on a pretty regular schedule of it debuting, I think, on Tuesday on FX and available streaming services. I watch on Hulu, but whatever. It's not not a paid sponsor. I'm just telling you. Uh, I watch on Hulu, and then we will record on Wednesday, and then hopefully get the pod out on Wednesday. So that's how we're going to do this. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You're enjoying the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. But here is the thing that everybody wants to know. This is the, the I mean, you talk about the response that we got. We got a, a good response for episode one, but the majority of people, Spencer, have to know, need to know, what is a fecal explosion? What did you mean at the beginning of the last episode? Did not intend this to be as ambiguous. Did not intend this to be as ambiguous as it apparently turned out to be. I, I, when I said fecal explosion, I did not mean out of any one person. I meant that my toilets and my showers and every other thing that could back up water decided to back up feces pouring into my house in various ways. <laughs> that was Which, so fantastic because, like, I, before the podcast started, I said, oh, uh, you're recording in your garage. What happened? Spencer tells me the story. And I'm like, oh, I'm, Spencer, I'm so sorry. Like, let me kick it to the to you on pod so that people know what a podcast professional you are, that you're recording in a different part of your house, that you're doing this when you have a house emergency. So you were prepared. That's the funny part. And then it goes to yes you and, and you no. say, I had a fecal explosion. <laughs> and then we move on and people are, are writing in going, what happened to Spencer? Is Spencer okay? <laughs> Does he have a health issue? <laughs> The, to, be, to, to my credit, this is the official note and description of the insurance claim that I had to file. This was the summary that they just used to describe this, but I will acknowledge in retrospect, more ambiguous than I intended. It's a plumbing issue, but they're still dealing with it. Still podcast professional, still out in his garage, but committed to doing episode two. Episode two, we're going to review Servants of Two Masters. Really excited Perfect to do name. it. The format here on Mega Talk Shogun is we will do a recap. Now, if you've never listened to one of our podcasts before, we do a very detailed recap. If you're looking at the length of this thing and you're like, how can these guys talk for two and a half hours about Shogun? Because we do a very detailed recap. Um, you may like that, you may not, but that's how we like to do it because we can break down each individual line, each individual scene, see what we saw, see what we missed, and then maybe speculate wildly. Maybe do a little bit of wild speculation. We like to do that too. So we'll do the recap and then we'll jump to our segment. Spencer, I got a new segment for you, but here's the deal. I need you to tell me what segments you're doing. Kick it to me. I'll tell you what segments I'm doing. You know one I'm doing and I will explain that one, but I have one I'm adding to the list. What are you going to do this week? Uh, I, I will do the same three that I did last week. I will give you best line, let you pick. I will give you a, a cultural clash moment of the episode and I will... Uh, Prompt us to debate on the subject of who the winners and losers were of this particular episode. We've gotten this question multiple times from listeners to say, hey, can you do a Japanese word of the week? Oh, God, have fun with that, sir. So we'll do a Japanese word of the week. We'll pick up a Japanese word that, that gets sort of, uh, that, that of course gets said on the broadcast, but also gets explained, right? That, that, that 
through the translation that we get the the English meaning for, we can we can highlight one of those for sure. We'll do that, nice. and then we'll jump to our last segment, which is reasons Lee wants to go to Japan this week. <laughs> Definitely have some things to talk about this week about reasons. Uh, as watching the episode, I wanted to go to Japan. Anything else you want to talk about up front, Spencer, before we jump into the recap of this bad boy? I'm excited, sir. Let's get going. All right. So before we actually, before we get a recap, I, I, that was a false start. I did want to get your general thoughts. Did you like the episode as much as episode one? How about that? Can we uh, start there? No, but I thought it was still very solid. I think I think it was oh. an episode of where a lot happened, where there was a lot of forward momentum, but it was, I thought, to its degree, a bit of a bridging episode of where it's kind of establishing a theme for the episode and kind of leading us in ter- towards the momentum of where that will continue on from here. I don't think that's a criticism of the episode in any way. I thought it did that quite well. But it didn't quite have the level of excitement episode one did, but that may just be my own personal exuberance to be talking about this particular show and subject with you. See, I kind of felt like there was some forward momentum, especially in the back half of the episode, that was a little bit more exciting than the initial table setting that we got uh, per- in episode one. Perhaps an assassin, perhaps a member, maybe or not, of the Amita Tong entering, entering the cast? More so... The epic conversation over the largest Zen garden ever oh, God, with, with Taranga and Black. I mean, that, that movement, I actually thought there was a lot going on this episode. So I didn't really see it quite as a bridge episode. I felt like episode one was so much table setting that as much as I appreciated the splendor of it, and I, I described on episode one how I was like sort of shocked at like the money that they're putting into this mm-hmm. thing, how seriously they're taking it. Um, I, I did feel like they were setting the table a little bit, but here I got to start eating hors d'oeuvres. I got a couple courses in me, and I'm I was glad. feeling real good about that. I'm excited to talk about it. All right, that's our initial thoughts of the episode. Let's jump into a detailed recap. This is Shogun Episode 2, Servants of Two Masters. Previously on, I always cover previously on, because I think when they give you a previously on clip, they are telling you things to pay attention to. So I think it's important to highlight those, um, and I also pay attention to them on my watching, right? So previous is about Black, Blackthorn, his capture. Uh, we get a little bit of Rodriguez, but m- much more about Blackthorn, and um, Hiramatsu dropped in there too. And then we end with Taranga, Blackthorn, and uh, Mariko, our triumvirate, our three baby faces of the, of the show. <laughs> they are all younger. I don't know if they they're actually their... younger or not, but they feel younger. <laughs> They got the triple tag team belt here, the triple baby faces for us. So we start with a flashback to when the Taiko was dying. Taiko, of course, being the ruler of Japan. This was a, but I say ruler. Differentiate for us, Spencer. Break it down. What does Taiko mean within the governance structure of Japan? Uh, Taiko was a title that was given to this individual. He is based on a real life figure that I will go into maybe in like the last episode in terms of who the real life people these were based on. But not he, when you have a, a fecal emergency. Not when there's a plumbing issue. That, that's too much fucking background for episode well, two. I, I'll, I'll keep it simple for right here. Of where the, the issue is, the Taiko was one was the uh, successor to two other prior unifiers of Japan. Uh, he was the first individual to rule a united Japan, or at least not including Hokkaido, that was taken over later. He could not assume the title of shogun because he was not of a samurai stock. He was not of any form of noble line. He was a peasant that basically became a samurai. And so for mm. that reason, he was, given, that. he was given the title of taiko instead to rule, in that capa- to rule with that title and capacity as effectively the unified ruler of Japan, but not bearing the ancient noble title that he would not be entitled to carry. But not emperor, right? He's not the em- emperor. Em- emperor is an entirely separate category. Emperor is in the Jap- in, in the subject of Japan, the divine avatar on earth. He is descended from divinity. He is sacrosanct, and in this period of history, 
utterly politically powerless. He is a figurehead. Oh, he is a so totally like exactly, exactly how a lot of people felt about Queen Elizabeth. Like, oh, she's like, she's angelic, but she, I mean, she can't pass a law, but she's great. Uh, to, to an even more exemplar degree with the subject of the view of divinity, that obviously they were God, obviously their power is complete, obviously they're the real ruler of Japan, but we don't need to let them control any of the day-to-day. That's below them. All right, so I've done two references to your how you started the pod last episode. I'm going to give myself one more and then I will stop. I just want you to know you, you make mistakes so infrequently on the podcast that when you, when you draw, when you That's actually make a it. mistake, Spencer, it makes me so fucking happy. <laughs> it's so great. You, you bet, you bet such a high percentage that when you do something like this, I got to hold on, but I'm only going to give myself one more coupon. So after the, I'm going to have one more reference at some point, it could be a mystery. That's a little tease of the business, a mystery. But then I'll then I'll never talk about it again. All right. So uh, they, this is the flashback. Tycho's dying. The lords are attending him. Notice that Taranga is front and center. He's up front. I think what they want to what they want us to see, and then of course by the end of the, the scene, they want us to know, is he's close with the Tycho. They they he has a good relationship with the Tycho. Right. Tycho is not dead yet. This is one year ago in Osaka. Small thing about the production, but something I really really enjoy is how they overlay the text of the scene or the name of the episode on it. It's really old school how mm-hmm. they used to do that like back in the day. Like right now I'm reviewing um, every episode of Deep Space Nine with my buddy BJ over on Inside Trek, which is another Mangum podcast that we do. And they do a title sequence too, right? They throw almost like a PowerPoint, like as the video is going, like they the, just the title the card. text on top of it as the video is going. Now that doesn't look nearly like this, but it's so cool looking, like how they, they throw the Japanese like on and then you get the, the, the explanation of it. I like it. As you said, it's delightfully old school. I always appreciate that because it felt like a series, a season was a, was a book and you were seeing each individual chapter of it. And it, I enjoyed that way of separating them out. It also just made it, easier to experience and kind of build into it that way. I feel like some of these shows now want to be realistic and that, that too much takes people out of it, but I kind of enjoy that old school way of presentation. It's, it's always, I think it's always the best when you have an element of it along with all the benefits of what modern production gives you, which is sure. the scale, which is the effects, which is the number of people, the budget, the scenescapes, the drone shots, all that stuff we get, but we also get the cool little like, what? Like where they just throw up, throw up the text on the screen. I really enjoy it. So he's able to talk. The Tycho is able to talk still at this point. Ask for his son. I am so into the next 10 seconds. I've got questions, my friend. Emphasis on son. This has resolved any debate we had in terms of the gender identity of this particular character. Well, it is in this. I had to go back to episode one and I I matched the faces. That person that that Taranga, uh, uh, Tornaga. And then mm-hmm. that's the only time you're going to get this one, right? That's the only fucking time Tornaga uh, was talking to was in fact the air. So this the is air, the air, yeah. right? He says, he asked for his son, the air comes up and the Tycho says, looking at him is like staring into his mother's eyes. Now, when this happens, Cut Spencer, to the Lady Zabruda, the Lady Ochiba looks at my guy Tornaga and they both kind of smirk at each other. Then they do. Then, they share a beat. Then, my friend, before the court, I lay the evidence. Later, he starts talking about how I think I liked pretty women too much. And then there's this other woman that's like kind of around. Spencer, I've got questions. You've got questions, questions. do you, sir? 
I've got questions because when he says it's like looking into your mother's eyes, how the impression I got from Toronaga was this would be like if you were talking to someone else and I was in the room and you were like, I really like to be responsive and I never like to be late. And I would be like, I wouldn't <laughs> blow your spot, right? I wouldn't just immediately say that's bullshit, but I would kind of side eye. Still, just give me a look right there. Right? Yeah. This is, or if, or roles reversed. You're to, I'm, I'm in the room and I'm like, you know what? I really don't have a lot of opinions well, about things. I don't really like to talk much. Well, like the side eye that you would be giving, this is what he's giving. I think we're supposed to be asking questions about why he's giving that side eye. Well, and I, my question to ask you, sir, who was giving whose side eye? Because it was a glance that the two of them shared at each other. So it started with her. She looked and at Toronaga's first. But what's interesting to me is that it felt like, I watch this a lot of times, it felt like he didn't see her, but he knew she'd be looking at him. Right. He expected so the he, beat. Right. He expected that she'd be looking at him. Now, by, by the way, Toronaga, very good at expecting things. <laughs> he does Just that a lot this episode. Uh, but he, yeah, he kind of looks at her and then they have this like side eye sort of like weird you know, nonverbal conversation. I am very interested in that part of the scene. And Probably the, the most interesting part of the scene to me. It, it's a great opening scene. There's a lot of wonderful lines I've written down there. It's a great it's a great moment of history that's leading into setting up where the characters are now. But I do really much enjoy that this is a very intimate moment. This is a conversation of a room full of people. It's a conversation where everyone's listening to a guy that's on his deathbed giving out his last instructions. And yet somehow this is a moment that the, only the two of them share. It is an oddly intimate moment between the two of them, which the show, as you said, is clearly wanting us to pay attention to going forward. Yeah. So then the Tycho tells the air not to be so afraid. They have this conversation about being reborn in a pure land. I did not think that the Tycho's conversation about being reborn in a pure land necessarily disclosed his religion. I'm not sure that it did. I think you could still fit. He could be Buddhist, but enlightened, or he could be Christian and expecting heaven. So I'm not sure and, that cleared that up for us. And I feel like they give us evidence going either way. with respect the same now. Lee and I have read the book, but we're, we're responding to what the show is presenting because who knows? Exactly. The show we make changes on this. The, right, the show, yeah. the, the show is giving us evidence just even a beat later of where there's a priest in the room asking whether he should deliver last rites, and it's not. He's not entirely certain whether he should, and there's some resistance from the people there about whether he should. There is some ambiguity in the moment of the Tycho's religion, both for the audience and for the characters present. I thought it was pretty cute that his son was like, "Will you still have your bushy eyebrows?" When, when I see you, um, he's like he's like singing he's singing the Eric Clapton. When I see you in heaven, yeah, will you will well, you know my name, Dad? Like that's what he's singing, and it seems to affect the Tycho in some way. Now I, I wasn't able to tell exactly. It seems like maybe this was an emotional response to that question about the eyebrows because he kind of like flinches and looks away. He clearly doesn't want to cry in this room with full of people, but he does have a reaction to that. And then um, I think it's uh, the lady Ochiba, right? Who's like, yes, y'all can get out of here. Like yeah. everybody could go. Go. Adios. So they all start to leave. And I personally, um, in my, I'm not as smart as Toronaga. In my own head, I'm as smart as Toronaga. But I do think I, I have one trait with him that I, I do appreciate, which is that he, he, he very like as mysterious as he is. And he is, he does give away some shit. Like here, he wanted to get the fuck out of that room. Like he really did. <laughs> he want really to leave. did. Like he was like, oh, oh, okay, I'm good. Like he, he has never moved his kimono so fast in the show. He's like booking out of there. And of course the Taika is like, you, you, you know, I want you to come back what? and talk to me. Right. Cause that's his boy. And it's interesting too. Cause I, I think the Lady Ochiba also wanted him out of that room. It's like, 
when she when she ordered everybody to leave the room, she intended Toronaga to go, but the Taiko sure. kind of countermanded that order to insist, mm, no, this one stays. I got, first, I got this, more things to say. And they had this sort of fantastic moment where the Taiko, you you know, like we know the Taiko, like we know the Taiko is ruling. So you would assume that he's got some skills and he's knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. You just explained to us that he came up from being a peasant. So that he's got to have something, right? He's got to have some knowledge, skills, abilities, right? That resume has got to be filled out. But they sh- they show they don't tell, right? Because he offers, hey, I'll make you the sole regent. Make you the sole regent here. But I, I can do that. If you just take care of my area, I'll do that. And, of course, Tornaga's like, terrible idea for me because th- that everybody will unite against me kill me kill your son and he goes ha huh, yeah great answer clearly had prepared for that answer mm-hmm. because he already has another document drafted of a council of regents that he then prepares to him so i do enjoy that sort of like this is a really capable guy he's on his deathbed and he's still one step ahead and we just want to show you that and it's it's a it's a fun game that the two characters. The book goes into this a little bit more in terms of their background. The two, it's a fun game the two of them played quite a bit because these two were opponents. These two fought battles against each other. These two waged campaigns against each other before the Taiko united Japan and, and Toronaga became an ally under him as part of that process. They were adversaries. They were rivals. And still, once they became allies in the common cause, they still do this certain degree of jousting of where what would you do here with the, the character already having an idea of what he would do is almost a certain element of continued testing of their mutual abilities so i have a question the lady who tells the portuguese priest or maybe god's kingdom is up your own ass that, that, you was, that was that was the lady ochiba that was the lady ochiba and then they have a conversation about ochiba where you know the taiko's like you know you could have married her mm-hmm. and then my guy toronaga in an all-time move i mean this guy holy shit i just want to hang out with him he's like I've never been much for beautiful. Which, by the way, if somebody tells you I've never been, like, I'm, I'm a male attracted to females, right? It's somebody who identifies as male, attracted to females, and says that sentence to you, I've never been much for beautiful women. I want to have an hour-long conversation about how you arrived there. Like, that's way more interesting than the guy who's like, yeah, I like hot girls. Like, I want more information. Please, uh, you, you, elaborate, you, sir. You get to meet two of his consorts later. How do you feel about his assessment of their beauty? Yeah, I don't think he's... he's. I think he's maybe fibbing here a little bit. Uh, the, but, but the Lady Kiri, and I, I, I like the name on his youngest consort who's, pre- who's, who's pregnant, um, they're not the world. They're not meant to be the world-class beauties that Lady Ochiba is, is, re- is represented as being. I guess not, but I mean, Kiri's older, right? And then yeah, the, 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 the they've the been together for is, 40 years. The lady's pregnant, and I got, do have her name. We will say her name later. She's She's pretty attractive. I don't know. I, I just thought it was a hilarious line to tell somebody. I've never oh, been yeah. much into attractive beep women. It's like, that is a thing that's said, and there's a, a, there, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole bunch of iceberg under that conver- that I need to know. What, how do you arrive there? <laughs> and then they have this wonderful line, which Spencer, I mean, if Spencer said it to me once, he said it to me a hundred times. Um, we've shit uh, too many times in the same pot to piss on our own feet. I mean, that's I, just a common one you tell me constantly. I, I feel like the show's infringing on our copyright at that point, our trademark at that point. I'm resisting the urge to the use my last coupon. I wish we'd taken <laughs> Korea together. <laughs> I could have given you Japan. That was a really telling line that like they had, a, they clearly had attacked Korea at some point um, or they either thought about it or they did. I mean, that, th- th- this was clearly something that ha- he, he has it as a man. I wish I'd gotten to that. Uh, and but, but, it says he would have given our guy Toronaga Japan if that had happened. 
and it, both historically and in the book, they did invade Japan. That was one of the first things he did after uniting Japan was try, try to take over Korea. As part of a plan to eventually also take over China, too. The Taika was nothing but ambitious. Notably, Torinaga's forces, while supporting with resources, did not support, in terms of soldiers or manpower, the invasion of Korea. And it was view, controversially in the book and in real life that he was not involved in that process. Torinaga makes it clear early on. I got my shit. I would just like to be at home chilling. Like, yeah, I got my stuff. Easy going, dude. Can people please stop bothering me, basically? Um, he says, what was interesting is he gives him that, that kernel of hope that you want to give somebody on, the, on their deathbed, right? That the world will get better, that you have made an impact. He said, let it be a gift from your son. Implied in that is that your son will take Korea someday and will be able to give me Japan. Mm -hmm. He says, my son, the vultures are circling. What would you think? And this is when he has the conversation about being regent. And then he says no. And then he pulls out the... The pre-prepared regent already list. written, This parchment that he's already written. And he names out the Council of Regents. If we do one thing this episode, my friend, one thing other than maybe laugh and have a good time, mm -hmm. is we are going to know these damn regents by the time we're done. Uh, the, the show is taking pains to make sure we understand who the other four members of the Council of Regents are, beyond just this, simply we, Lord Tornaga. If that, that, if that kind of flew by on the screen to you, we are here to help. We are going to be talking about each individual member on the Council of Regents. So, he names them. Ashido, Kiyama, Ono, Sujiyama mm -hmm. and you. Now, of those, Ishido, Kiyama, Ono, Sujiyama, and Toronaga, there are two Christians. I will name said Christians for you. Kiyama and Ono. Mm -hmm. Those are the Christians. Ono has leprosy. Now, Spencer, unlike in uh, another television show that we reviewed... They actually name leprosy here. So can you can you admit that the character has leprosy? Because when we reviewed House of the Dragon, you 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 were steadfast that leprosy did not exist in that world. Did leprosy exist in the world the year sixteen hundred? You I, tell me. I at no point said that leprosy did not exist in the world of House of the Dragon. It is perfectly <laughs> possible it? it exists in the world of Westeros. It was just not named. It was the unnamed condition. Here, uh, yes, the man suffers leprosy. We get to see how progressed he's the world Odo's leprosy sure. is. Here's the thing about the depiction of leprosy on the screen, because I went into a deep dive on this about a year ago, is that one of the first thing that happens when you have leprosy, you start losing your digits, your fingers. Part, part, part of losing your nerve connections there. Oh no, when he throws that curtain back later, still got some fingers. I got, I got a beef with that. It mm. would not be difficult to have him, you know, on screen look like he's lost his fingers. He doesn't need them. I mean, he's it, just sitting around talking. That was a mistake on their part. It, he would have it, lost his fingers by now. And it's and it's one that was notably not present in the book of where he, he's always behind curtains, whatever else in the book. But one of the few times he's exposed when they're checking him for weapons when he's going to see the Tycho, they see that one of his hands is basically gone and the stump of the other is holding a sword. But so book got that right. The show, I suppose they didn't cast an actual act actor with leprosy. Well, you, yeah, well, no, you, no, they can easily, Replicate. easily put a fitted glove on and make it look like he does not have fingers or they could remove it digitally like that. That was just a miss on their part, right? With the money they're putting into this, that wouldn't have been difficult. Kiyama is the other Christian on the council. And he, I would say, is like the most prominent Christian on the council. Whatever you're, you're, you're hearing babble from the Portuguese or from even from Ishido about the Christians on the council, you're probably dealing with Kiyama. He is the, 
He's the one out in front of this issue. Um, and the show, Sujiyama is just rich. That's what we get of him. He is the, that's one, the richest thing to know about Sujiyama is he's rich. Ashido, of course, controls everything, and then um, Toronaga is our protagonist. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you've summarized our five lords well. Anything else you want to add about those as we're uh, doing as we're sitting in in the Council of Regent uh, School? The show is taking pains to portray Lord Kiyama as being mercenary. That his loyalty to Christianity is primarily for the financial benefit he's getting out of it. In terms of what the Portuguese and uh, and the uh, Christian influence is providing to his realm. And in a relatively dismissive way, we have a character say that Ono, oh, no, I believe this is um, Rod- not Rodriguez, the other guy. Anyway, it, we'll get there. Yeah. But he he specifically says Ono found his way to Christianity because he had leprosy. Like yeah. it's a it's sort of like looking, searching for something, searching for meaning when you have prob- this debilitating disease. It was probably Father Father Aqua, Father Del Aqua, in terms of, uh, or, or it was either Father Aqua or Father Alvito, because I think it was one of the priests. It was the the priest in the the, the one that's in the prison with him. Oh, um, oh Domingo then, uh, Father Domingo. There you go. That's the one. And then Sujiyama. The thing you need to know about him right now is that he's kind of quiet. But he comes from the wealthiest family in Japan. More to find out later. All right, there you go. That's the that's the the council regents. These are the people he names, right? And so we're in this back, uh, we're in this flashback. He names these people, and then our guy Tornaga's like sharing power until Yechio uh, is uh, is sixteen. Fantastic, super good idea. You're so smart. I like you, and he's like, I like you too. And they, they kind of ha- they you know they have a nice little thing. But then we get this fantastic line from the Tycho who says, tell him, my son, the most important lesson, the man who stands at the greatest height is the loneliest man in the realm. As this is happening on screen, just to make sure you understand, folks, <laughs> just to make sure you understand. S- symbolic. <laughs> Our guy, Tornaga, is walking through um, a room with people who are bowed low and he is standing tall, right? They want you to know this this particular lesson, this life lesson about ruling, about leadership, likely applies and will continue to apply to our main protagonist. Perhaps that is a lesson that he can pass on to the heir from his own personal experience. And now, you know, other than just, you know, seeing your shiny face, Spencer, and seeing if you're actually still in the garage or if you were at another part of your house, I was probably looking forward to this discussion the most that we were going to do tonight. And that is your take on... On the opening sequence, you have thoughts on opening sequences. I, I freaking love them. I thought they were great. I thought it was so I artistic, it was so good, it was so artistically created. I love it's going through the same Zen garden that we get to see later in terms of moving through the sand, whatever else. The ripples that we're going through, the ripples that they're all operating in, and then slow and building to blowing apart that mountain in the center to reveal the samurai visage of the shogun to come. I, I thought it was a beautifully artistic, particularly with the little ship moving through as they went as well. And I like that it's not water. They're moving through a Zen garden. I mm-hmm. like that the music starts to change to help you understand what's happening in this animation sequence. It's fantastic. Now, my question is, what do you think about the current trend? I've seen this in a bunch of shows of not doing the full animation opening, the Game of Thrones inspired fun opening that like, you know, is, is visually entertaining, but also tells you a bit about the story until the second episode a lot of shows are not doing it the first episode i think it's i think it's more common than not at this point in terms of not having your intro at the start so that you can start more realistic in terms of just emerging right into the story and only doing your intro in terms of the second episode i th- i can count on one hand a number of shows that seemingly have an intro right now uh, that they're opening with it seems to be much more the norm to do as this show's doing now cut to blackthorn and we get the episode title slide 
episode tied. Episode two. Bam. <laughs> right in your face. You're right. And then we cut back to Rodriguez, who was explaining it to his Portuguese friends. It looks like um, some priests. It looks like some yeah. Catholics around, right? Two, two, two members of the, of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. Yeah. Uh, that Blackthorn is just the worst. Dirty disease. He's got a filthy mouth. He's like a back passage whore on the 15th rank. You know what I mean, Father? Am I right? Am I right? Um, and then we get this episode establishes that, yes, we're going to see some other Jesuits. We're going to see some other Portuguese. Um, Father Martin Alvito is going to be our primary window, our primary mode of communication of that group of people, that mm-hmm. interest in the show with Tornaga. Uh, he is the guy that, you know, he, he explains later that he's the uh, official translator for the council writ large. And he also seems to have a personal relationship with Mariko and he somewhat is trusted by Tornaga. So if Father Martin, that's the guy he's sitting in this table, right? And he has he can engage this conversation. But what he says is important because, we know, he's the one that's going to go back and talk to our people. right? He's going to go back and talk to Tornaga. He's the he's the interface. Hundred percent. He's is integrally important to both worlds because he is the translator. He is the language. He is the one that bridges the gap. And it seems like he's in a relatively unique role in terms of the skill, the, the position of trust that he is in, and the skill that he brings to that job. So he's kind of essential to all camps. Yeah, and then he shares that he got the journal um, that described basically what. Blackthorn and his folks his have crimes, as it were, on the ship, and then also their thoughts about what they would do when they get they get to the Japan, as our as our guy <laughs> the Japan. Blackthorn would say. I do want to point out, I believe that the journal is different than the rudder. The rudder is a uh, history of the navigation of the ship, right, and mm. like where they're going and what they see. The journal is literally Blackthorn sitting there writing. I hate the Portuguese. I hate the Portuguese, like over and over again, like Bart Simpson got did detention type of thing. But effectively, there, there's there's a couple different things. There's the rudder that they stole, that they got through illicit sources anyway, that helped them get to Japan in the first place. That's someone else's journals, maps, whatever else. And then one could arguably view Blackthorn's personal journal as starting to form a rudder in its own regard of his own recounting of the voyage, the steps, whatever else, just with extended narration attached along with it. I think the show is going to call one the rudder, which is going to be the thing they stole to get there, which yeah. actually has the get through Magellan's Pass, the whole thing. And then the journal, which is where he's like vomiting out. Man, I really hate the Portuguese <laughs> so much. If I ever see a Portuguese guy, I'm going to punch him in the mouth like that. That there, that seems to be how they're terming it. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez agrees, says Blackthorn, uh, Sack slaughtered and pillaged his way through uh, Manila. He's a real piece of work. It- that one brutal savage. It was interesting they said Manila, and I wonder, is that an error, or is that just a figure of speech? Because we know, from what we've seen, and from what I know from the books, they didn't go to the Philippines. They just kind of went straight across the Pacific to get to Japan. So he may just be referring to that, like, from here to Timbuktu, from here to Manila, as just being a way of saying, he pillaged all the way coming to our holdings in, our holdings in Asia. Are we sure there's not another Manila? There might be another Manila that's situated along, along the coast. There could be of a small town. It's just... The main Manila I know is situated in the Philippines. Yeah, I I also think that if I was writing this show, I'd be okay with Rodriguez screwing up every once in a while. He seems like a guy who talks a lot. (laughs) Volume shooters will miss from time to time. He seems to enjoy also trying to knock the priests in their back foot. Despite the fact that these guys have very senior position, they're the members of their leaders of his faith, and also of political importance, he has no issue whatsoever with poking them to to the cows come home. 
they bring up the handing this evidence over they bring up they're going to hand this evidence over to the japanese and then black foreign will be hanged for piracy easy martin points out uh yeah not gonna be that simple despite the current issues turanaga still president of foreign relations he's still on the committee right they have not kicked him out of congress he's still on the committee and he's a thorough man i fear he'll want a complete translation of this journal perhaps too complete slaps it open to one particular page and his I, I don't I never got the name of this guy, but he seems like a, a higher. Uh, he seems like he's somebody who makes um, decisions at a higher level than Martin does within the church. Uh, it, from the books, and I think they, they said his name. His name is Father Delacqua, of where he is. Father the Delacqua. He is the senior member of the Society of Jesus in Japan, and therefore one of the most important Portuguese in the entire country. Delacqua, do you remember him from the books? Uh, so that's that's him, right? And he opens a specific page. Oh, Delacqua doesn't like this, causes a little consternation. He closes the journal. They hand Rodriguez some money, say, get the hell out of here. As Rodriguez is leaving and, and shoving as much food as possible into his mouth along the way, he's going to get all those ca- free calories he can. Mm-hmm. This is this is Spencer at like a work function. He's like, uh, yeah, uh, crab cake? <laughs> free yes, food? Bring here. <laughs> bring me too. It's free. I'm De- going to make a dinner out of this. De- deviled eggs that have been sitting out for six hours? Fine, I'll take them. Give them to me. Sure. I, I, there's no way I'm spending money on dinner tonight. I'm going to eat enough that this is dinner. Calories. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Uh, as he's leaving, he says, just so you know, this Blackthorn, <clears throat> he's not a man to leave his fate with God. I suggest you don't either. And he, Rodriguez, walks out. Now, I agree with him. It's an interesting message to throw in the face of, you know, supposedly very religious men. When you say, take God out of this, you need to, you need to control this situation. But I think what in... I think what we're getting from this, other than just the fact he's very flippant with the, the Jesuits, right, is that he's got a little bit of respect for Blackthorn. He did what he said he was going to do. He handed the shit over to the Portuguese. He said he was going to do that. But along the way, it seems like he respects Blackthorn. There's a certain degree of belligerent best friends starting to form here of where he re- he's basically in the category of he's doing his duty as a soldier, but he respects the man enough to understand how dangerous he is and what he's capable of. And we're the two best friends that anyone could have that anyone could have. So the Portuguese priest says, uh, this is Father Delacqua. He says, so he knows everything about Macau? As Christ is my witness, with these bouchos on the verge of open war, the last thing we need is any discussion of past entanglement. Shout out Jada Smith, entanglements. Mm-hmm. i telling you. What's the bouchos? Tell, tell, give us that word, Spencer. Uh, it appears to be a bit of a slang referring to the samurais. I'm guessing it's basically a short form of bushido and kind of referencing them as being, you know, in, in, in a as a is not not a term of endearment, but a term of disparagement for the entire uh, ruling class of Japan. You don't want to be in any entanglements. If, if current pop culture has told us anything, entanglements are bad. Mm. Martin says, uh, "Let us be thankful our visitor does not speak Japanese." Martin <laughs> is going to attend Toronaga and translate for him this afternoon. But putting those two things back to back, I think Martin was implying that if this guy starts to talk about the base of Macau, that he would do something about it. That's what I took. He does, he's not explicit. Martin is a very um, subtle guy, but he says. Let us be thankful he doesn't speak Japanese. And by the way, I'm going to go translate for it. It's notable that they're basically saying this is knowledge that Blackthorn basically brought to Japan with him that he got from other sources of where he already has they an think idea. That. They are, yeah, they already think he has an idea about what this base in Macau is. They don't fully know what information that he has. We, as the audience, don't know what information is irrelevant with respect to this base in Macau. Just that they don't want anything about this to stir the pot. Too much going well, what's- on. But what's so fantastic about the port, the portrayal of the Portuguese in the book and the show is that 
do not underestimate the ways that their overconfidence can shine through. <laughs> like they're they're confident, like because th- there's a there's an inherent in confident. There's an inherent confidence in what they're saying here, right? Because they're saying he's a danger only because of what he would bring with him. Like they think they've got it so on yeah. lock. They ha- it hasn't even crossed their mind that he would just hear out on the street name on the street situation, like that. All this shit's going on. Like they, they, they're not assuming that he could learn that information here. So again, I just think the Portuguese are. I mean, I'm not breaking new ground that in Shogun the Portuguese are overconfident, but they are. They, this is a display of how overconfident. Sir, they are. the Pope himself gave them this lands. This is their domain. What can one man do to disturb what God has given? I mean, we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But that's one of the fundamental, wonderful things about this story, and I'm glad that they've gone there so early. Is that when the West goes and tries to like, I'm going to like take your land and like show you how to live. When they do that whole thing, which the West has done just throughout history. Yeah. I just really enjoy this story where they get there. And then the response is the so fuck no. you try him. So first off, so that's it. So it's a, it's a hard no, right? Yeah. Right off the bat. But just, also we have some notes on like how you live. Like, we got, we got, we got <laughs> some things to share with you. <laughs> Page one body odor let's go into that it's very much the like get the police but not for me meme like it's very <laughs> much that like i'm going to show you how to live and then they end up going back home and being like guys i've learned an awful lot about how but, to live but sir i must point out that of the five ca- members of the council of regents two are christian perhaps these portuguese have had some influence upon this particular nation well yes i got some thoughts on that we'll get there um so cut to Osaka and uh, Martin coming into the castle. It's just gorgeous. Every single time they come into the castle. I love how, I'll say it every single time they show us, because I think it's that important. I like how in the year 1600, these streets are cleaner than any fucking street you're going to see in 2025. It's clean. They take great pride in it. And what the book does so well, it got a lot of space to do it, by the mm-hmm. way. I'd like If you don't know, it's a long book, folks, uh, is... They talk about why the streets are so clean. They're not so clean because of a really fantastic centralized municipal government. Although, you know, I would recommend that. Uh, It's because of the pride every person takes in their individual jobs and how that reflects on their family, but also reflects on their service to whoever they work for or Mm -hmm. who they they actually report to. Duty all the way up and all the way down. Right. So if there was a problem with the street, that would be a personal offense to like one person. So there's never a problem with the fucking street. It's always clean. It's always dope. Like we get to see that every single time. So we see that again when Martin walks in the castle. We see Blackthorn is in front of Tornaga. So we're ca- catching up to that scene, right? Mm-hmm. So in essence, what happened on the on the, the strict timeline is this conversation that the Portuguese are having slide it into the actual timeline at the end of episode we, one we are catching up now we've caught up to where the end of episode one was and we started episode two right blackthorn uh in front of toronaga in comes martin he greets the air who is peeping on toronaga and blackthorn's meeting i do enjoy the air i don't know if he inspires confidence i mean he's so young i don't know what? but i do enjoy that he's like i heard that these fucking big tall white guys eat people is that true is that true? And then I, he's like, maybe. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll see. I'll be careful. I love the priest is noncommittal. I love he's just like, hey, I haven't actually talked to the guy yet. I shouldn't assume. I'll be careful, though. I, I'll and, look out, basically. Important detail here. The, the heir. The heir to the realm 
is on a first name basis with this Portuguese priest. Well, he's not really because they don't call him by his first name, which is well, actually interesting. They, they have a close relationship. It's more my right. What do they call him? They they have a name for him here. Tazuki. Tazuji. Tazuji. I tell you. Tzuji. So he's Tzuji. He's the he is the interpreter. He's the translator, and that's what he gets called. Same as Anjin. That they were they're referring to him by name as profession. In in the book, they make that clear is that they Japanese just due to the particular vowel and consonant sounds they have have a real damn hard time pronouncing Alvito or Blackthorn. So they 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 just use their profession instead. So this is like probably, I know you don't do like criminal law, but this is something you've probably seen at some point in a courtroom where. You've got somebody in handcuffs, sitting there, looking around, wondering what their fate's going to be. They see someone walk in the room and go, oh, shit. Yes. That, <laughs> that's ex- that's American wait, wait. courtroom drama right there. That's what happens for our guy Blackthorn, because he I, sees Martin comes in. It's a Catholic. He says, shit, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah, he, I think he literally says, oh, shit, or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, Martin sits down, apologizes to Lord Toronaga. Hope she hasn't been keeping him waiting. Such good manners. He's been around the block here. He knows you got to oh, do yeah. these things. You, you cannot. You don't skip around him. Hell, we even catch Rodriguez doing these things between all the nonsense he talks. But he yes. still checks the boxes. Toronaga points out Mariko's presence. Hey, yeah, I hope it's not a problem. She's here, but I'd like her to learn a little Portuguese. And you are the master, after all. Yeah, she's your star pupil. She's looking just to continue learning. And it, I, I think the acting of Alvito is quite good, and it's good because he's going to be a major character going forward. But he is visibly caught off guard that Mariko sure. is there and a little uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I would. Yeah, he is because I, th- I think he knows that she speaks pretty good Portuguese. He trained her. He's not a dummy. He's got to be connecting the dots that he might be getting elbowed out of the translator role, which would, you know, if I've got notes to Toronaga, and I would never be so bold, my lord. Never, never would be so bold to give you notes, Lord Toronaga. My notes would say, do not, do not have the Portuguese translate for Engine. Well, That's a bad idea. It, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. You can almost see that he's doing wheels within wheels of what this implies that she's there. Is that is the, are they? Is he looking to replace me? Does he not yeah. trust me? Is he? Do, is, yes. is someone there to vet vet him? Yes. Do, does he want yes, an yes, outside yes. separate source? It's like, yes. Man. All these are running through his head of things. like none of this is good. None of this is good. None of this is good. I have to. <laughs> I, but I have to be in the moment right now. <laughs> I wish I could talk to him. Is she going to replace me? Yes. Does he not trust me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that's true. He, he, he has sussed out, because he's incredibly perceptive, that there is a deep, deep distrust of the engine toward the Portuguese. Uh, and he's not going to assume that that's for nothing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't assume that's for nothing. So he's just going to move you. He's going to move the Portuguese out of this line of communication, which is a very smart thing to do. Um, we What's interesting is it seems that Blackthorn has learned that his name is Engine now. He knows he responds to that. He's He seems OK with that. Um Martin explains he's he's the official interpreter for the council. Blackthorn expresses concern that he'll twist his words in his Portuguese favor. And Martin, to his credit, um, he he you know you cannot basically you can't tell a lie unless you've established trust first. No no effective lie has you you've never been effective in telling a lie unless you've established trust oh, first, yeah. right? So he is going to establish that base layer of trust, which was the smart way for him to play it. Because as soon as Mar- you know Engine says this, he goes, "Hey." This is what he said. Like he's very, he, this entire conversation, you would never guess that Martin could be anything above board, right? Mm-hmm. Because he, he is translating perfectly. 
And it was, a, you know, a smart thing to do for multiple reasons. It's smart because if he is going to be the translator down the road for Anjan, he needs to establish some trust with Tornaga. He doesn't need to come out the gate line and have, you know, Anjan freak out or him get exposed. Also, he's got to check in the system right now because Mariko's in the room, right? He knows that she can understand both languages as well. So he's got to be careful. And I, and I love how they do the... Tra- in the book, the translation is actually simultaneous, which I'm sure would be just a nightmare to actually do in terms of the show. But I, it's an important point to contrast the translation we get here versus the translation that we we get from Mariko later of where his translation is perfect it is flawless Hers it is, is the not. exact words the exact tone the exact connotation associated with it and as you said we're getting that there is a professional necessity in this that he's not going to interfere with and I love his quote there of where he even gives him the word for enemy it's like just if you want to say them enemy just you can even say it yourself you can point it out oh let's make that the word for the the, the week Japanese word for the week is teke mm-hmm. t-e-k-i teke that means enemy. Um, if you're mad at someone, you can say it to them and they'll know what you mean. Just point. There you go. Uh, but I love the quote that we get from him, this lifted almost directly from the book, is that I may be your enemy, John Blackthorne of the Erasmus, which I love he drops that too, is that, dude, I've read your fucking notes, so you keep track of that as well. Uh, but, I, but I am not your assassin. That you will do yourself. Uh, here's how I wrote my notes. I may be your enemy, John Blackthorne of the Erasmus, parentheses, LOL, I got your shit. I wrote that in my notes. <laughs> But I am not your assassin. All caps. Now this is out of this is just to, to the audience. Remember that assassin. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he uses. He says, "I'm not your assassin." He and does. Ostensibly, his camp sends an assassin later. I assume. So, like, it's, no, it's interesting. That that no, happens. what are you? What are you disparaging the church for, sir? They did nothing. Uh, well, we'll see. I, the priest explains, uh, our guy Martin explains what he did to Tornaga and asks Mariko to confirm that he's being truthful. I like that. I like that oh, too. Yeah. Hey, he's co opting. Am, am, am I doing this right? Tornaga's taking it all in. He then wants to know why the engine thinks the priest is his enemy. He's, he's, it's, it's really interesting to follow Tornaga early on in the story mm-hmm. because he is probably the smartest person we deal with, I think, in the story. I think he's the, he's the raw intelligence. Ability to read people, social awareness, being perceptive, strategic planning, check, 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 check. He can do all that shit. But he is really behind the curve on a lot of these Western issues. And he has to, and and he also is the most powerful person in the room. So he's got to find ways to ask the question that does not make him feel feel or look stupid. Now, I have heard presidents struggle with this. Mm -hmm. I've heard that presidents often struggle asking questions. And the real good presidents ask a lot of questions because they're scared that to look dumb in front of their staff. Toronaga has to ask really basic questions here. He has to say, "Wait a second, why? Why is that guy your enemy? What, what country Foundational. are you from? Important. Where is your country from? What, why? You know, all of these basic things." What? But I have so much respect for Toronaga because he's able to ask them in a way that gets the information he needs. With and he he really never appears stupid. In well, he never, never appears stupid, and even the foundational questions he asks are very precise, very very revealing in terms of the information he wants to get. Just the fact that he now knows about another country gives him so much information in terms of what he's trying to get out of this conversation. He, I've heard somebody else previously describe Tornaga's intellig- uh, um, intelligence or means of conversation as being like the movement of an avalanche, of where it just starts with little pebbles going. And before you know it, an entire wall or entire side of a mountain is coming at you. And just how he goes through a conversation and how his intelligence flows upon somebody. And we get to That's see the early, like the, the early moments of it here. Yeah, so he explains this because England refuses to be intimidated by Catholics. Now, that's a nonsensical thing to say to, to Taranga. There's no context to it. 
but we start to learn a little bit about why he said that um i'm sure it made sense in his brain mm-hmm. not the best answer in the moment Tornaga is uh interested in the idea that blackthorn isn't catholic he Tornaga, like me wants to get these two people in the room and say hey look guys y'all gotta understand something it's the same shit like y'all got like you did, and i recognize for the story it's not by the way that mm-hmm. was another thing that people wrote in is i made this i did this whole bit where i was like I'd like to tell Blackthorn that he's the same religion as these people. And people were writing in like, that's the whole point of this storyline is that it's not the same. Folks, I know that. Yeah, I'm talking of about He's talking to <laughs> modern lens. Yes, I'm talking about how silly it seems. If, if Lee personally was having a beer with the guy. Are, are actually, uh, that are using this as a point uh, to differentiate, right? It's so it's so silly. And it seems silly to Taranga too, or Tornaga too, right? He says... So, um, he says, wait a second, you're not Catholic. He he asks him, what's the deal? Blackthorn explains Protestant Catholics. Tornaga says, but you still believe Jesus is God. And Blackthorn's like, well, yeah, but I don't know for sure. And then he's like, oh, so is this why you became a pirate? To wage war against your Catholic enemies in the name of the gods you don't quite believe in? Which is just a fantastic <laughs> line. <laughs> Blackthorn's like, yeah, well, I'm not a pirate. Uh, Tornaga asks about the canons. He's like, look. I'm authorized to trade. I'm authorized to defend myself by the country, by the Dutch. And, and he, he still is holding to the story that the cannons are simply Defensive. to defend himself as he trade. Uh, but, simply as he trade. Well, it's notable. He reveals more than he maybe intends there, but it's I don't think Tornaga's frame of reference. The fact that he says that, oh, well, we have letters of Mark. Uh, historically, in a context for everybody that I don't think sure really fully explains it here, letters of Mark are basically author, authorization from a government to be a pirate. That you are a privateer. You are basically given official stamped authority to go raid all the vessels and assets of this enemy of our state. You're, so he's effect, effectively confessing to be a pirate, just a licensed one. I don't... I mean, I'm not sure that everybody... Every, I'm not sure every government thought of it that way, but I, I understand functionally <laughs> the what Portuguese you're perspective on the matter. I understand funct- you're talking about how that functionally plays out. When you have like a stamped thing that says like basically everything this person does is in my name and they have the full force of the government behind them, etc., etc. It does lend itself to abuse over time. That is true. Um, our guy Tornaga says, well, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do if it's like me who decides to stop you? Basically, like, I, you, I, you know, I, you, I, I I couldn't imagine that. I can very easily. He says back to him. <laughs> I would love just how he cuts through that. It's like you, can, you can't imagine that. I can imagine that in a heartbeat. Team. I I can very easily. And he goes, "What then?" Blackthorn then just says, "Well, then I guess I'll just die." Yeah. That's a good answer. Uh, he bows really low. Guard calls out, and um, in comes Ashido. Anything it, else on this conversation? Yeah, it's a great... I'll just do the full line. Blackthorn says, I think it's a good one. Is that He's like, he pushes him. He's like, if we were enemies, what would happen? And, so, and Blackthorn says, I would commend my soul to God, for surely I would die by the hand of an enemy like you. Perfect response. Take it. Because it answers the question, while at the same time providing a certain meaning of praise for the individual that has his life in his hands. What's so cool is that he actually says at the hand of a teke like you. Yes. Yeah, he's learning. He's learning. Quickly. Yeah. Um, so right now, if if you go to like all of the the podcast charts on the show Goo, uh, the show Shogun, we're we're number two, Spencer. We're number two, hey. steady behind the official podcast. I have been listening to the official podcast a little bit. They did throw out that the actor who plays uh, 
uh, Blackthorn, which if you would look him up, that would help me in this sure. moment while I make this point, so we could have his name. Uh, Cosmo, did, Cosmo Jarvis. Did not want to know any Japanese in the early filming. Hmm. More he authentic. wanted to learn it as he went, as as Blackthorn, Blackthorn did. He, so he wanted his any attempts at Japanese in episode two, three to be crap and any later on to potentially be better. Like he, he was learning it that way. And I thought that was a really, really nice method way to handle that. That is interesting. So the end comes a sheet. I have a question for you. Yeah. Is Ishido of a strict villain, or do we feel some sympathy for him here? I, I think we, we're only getting a limited... Well, we're getting a certain perspective on him, and we... I'm curious to ask you, purely from just what we've seen in the two episodes, do we assume that Ishido is trying to fill the Taiko's, uh, Taiko's um, rule and instructions, or whether Ishido is out for himself and trying to subvert the Taiko's power, or the Taiko's, the Taiko's legacy? If I if I hadn't read the book and I was going to speculate wildly, I would I think that the show is hinting us toward Toronaga and the Taiko were close. Ishido and other members of this now council likely resented it. Why I mean if they didn't resent it, why else would both the Taiko and Toronaga assume that if he became the sole region everybody'd just kill him, mm-hmm. right? There had to be some embedded resentment already there. And that Ishido likely um if, if he has that resentment and he views Toronaga as sort of buddied up with the Tycho, I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be putting out life insurance policies on the, the Tycho's son. I, I wouldn't feel great about where the Tycho's son is at in all this. And that gets reaffirmed to us in episode one, right? The lady shows us the branch, the tree with the brace and is like, look, you're the brace basically. Like this kid's not going to make it without you. Now, why is she saying stuff like that? She's saying that because I think everybody knows Ashido is not, not the, the loyal follower of the Tycho that he probably deemed to be. Thank you. You hit exactly the thread I wanted to in terms of how the show is presenting the guy. I think another way is also just in terms of the st- his own personal style of presentation is meant to be grating and not in keeping with what we see about many of his others, other co-rule uh, lords of the realm. Of Whereas you commented in the last episode, so much of what we're seeing of Japanese culture is hiding your actual intention, l- layering everything through many different layers of decorum. Whereas... From what we've seen of Ishido so far, his main way of doing things is to walk into a room like a bull in a china shop. In term, he walks into this room with Toronaga, and he makes almost no pains whatsoever but to be outright rude to the guy's face in his own room. Yeah, it's interesting because like, if you look at... I'll do two examples that are close to my heart. I think if you look at like the Emperor Palpatine and the original Star Wars trilogy, sure. and then also the follow-on prequel, is that he rarely made any mistakes when he was on right when he was like i need to pretend to be something right he pretended to be something extremely well he could flow in and out he seemed to be a villain without many weaknesses our current wwe champion professional wrestling you know i love it current (laughs) wwe champion roman reigns never loses never loses a fucking guy i don't think he stubbed his toe in three years the utter heel yeah, I don't think he's had like a hint of indigestion in three years. His hair's never been out of place. He's the perfect villain. Never makes mistakes. Ishido is not that. He make, He's clearly making mistakes. Like, as much as he thinks he's got this thing sewed up with Tornaga, it would, it's low-hanging fruit to not go in there and just break custom, be rude, be the bad guy. You lose the room when you do that. You further alienate Tornaga. I think it's. I think we're meant to think it's his personality because he also interacts with other people that way. Where he like, and and we've 
and we've talked about on this podcast how important the little social customs are. And Ishido just blows right through right. all of those. And I think it's a real weakness. As we saw when we heard Toronaga talk about hawking in terms of what the various style about that, about waiting for your actual moment to show your strength and attack, Ishido is so certain that he's going to win, he's being blatant about it. He's being way too open about him being confident in his position. So much so that Toronaga can reveal basically in this episode how utterly fragile the basis of his power is when he can just basically have a guy brought to him to talk with for five minutes, and that's enough to destabilize the basis of his uh, control over the, uh, over the Council of Regents. Own worst enemy situation. Sure. He's in a good, he's in a really good spot when we start this thing. And I think that in order for the story to work, he can't be Emperor Palpatine. You could not, you can't, because look at the, think of the Star Wars story. Emperor Palpatine starts with basically like he's just a senator from Naboo mm-hmm. and he's got to work his way up. So he's got to be perfect. Ishido starts at the top. Right. He, he starts in a great position. So you can't make him Palpatine. Otherwise, he'd probably control like half of fucking Europe by the time the story's over. Like you can't, you can't make him, you can't make him sheave. And, and, and but, but in terms of what we were told about all the various lords, what we were described for as Ishido is that he was basically a con- the guy in charge of Osaka Castle. That's basically his particular, that was what got him kind of the position in terms of, you know, being on the Council of Regents or what was his basis of authority within the Tycho's realm. Yeah, and then we get we get the story about how he got on there. I mean, this guy's yeah. not he was not the power player that Toranaga was no. for the last fifteen years. So anyway, he comes in, he calls the guy barbarian, calls him ugly, says he's dog face, wants to set him up in a the sixteen hundred Japanese version of the traveling Ringley Brothers circus and call him the freak from the West. I mean, this guy's being a real prick. Ashita, uh, go ahead. It's notable, though, that uh, Father Martin takes pains to say, Blackthorn, come over here and don't say a damn word. He's actually he didn't have to do that necessarily, but he pulls him aside and makes sure that he is. He also tells him when to bow, when to do throughout the scene. He is still operating in his formal role as an interpreter, even though he has established that the two of them are enemies. But he's doing his job with respect to this moment in a way that is helping Blackthorn. I have a question for you. You have to pick one. You can't equivocate. You can't just filibuster. You have to pick one. Everybody Bastard. knows this goes really well when I try this on the podcast. It Go always on. works. I'll find a way out. Did Martin do this to save face? Like, hey, he's the priest. He should be helping people. He shouldn't be leaving people, hanging people out to dry. He shouldn't appear cruel in front of Mariko, in front of Tornaga, who, despite, you know, despite rumors, uh, premature rumors, he is not dead. Mm-hmm. Um is it to save face or is it because he true, even though he's imperfect there, he, he still does believe in the teachings of Jesus. Like he, in his day to day, he likely finds it difficult to be outright cruel. Which one, which one is it? Is it personal or is it, is it externally driven? You're going to fucking hate me, but I think it really is a combination of the two. And I'm going to throw one. Every more. time. I'm going to throw, Every I, time. I, I'm going to offer something. I'm going to offer something. I'm going to throw you a bone. There's the third one too. I think there's a third one to current as well. That, from a purely, I think it is 100% correct that, that he, he needs to fulfill his professional job because that's the basis of his connection within these different worlds in which he operates. I think he is actually, from what we see of him, a well-meaning priest. I think he is does actually believe in the teachings of his faith and his and believes that a man can be saved from, uh, from what we see of him, even if he views Blackthorn very much as an enemy and an anathema to what he believes in. But I think there's a third one that's very much need to be referenced. This meeting... Seeing the two of these guys in one room talking to each other is politically valuable. And he just doesn't want Blackthorn to interfere with that. 
He's like, no, no, we need to be flies on a wall and they need to ignore we're here so I can just write notes about what the hell these two guys are talking about because the Portuguese mission in Japan needs to know what's happening in terms of the power plays between these guys. Spencer, yet again, refuses to make a choice or list or decision on podcast. Okay, got it. All right, sorry, I was just I was just what? updating my rudder. Uh, sir, I ask you, what's the definition of but, insanity? Because you've been asking me this question for 35 podcasts now, and yet I'm here we are. I'm just trying to get through the, the, the podcast version of Magellan's Pass here. <laughs> I'm just writing down my, my strategy. Sir, I invite route. you to find the back passage of a 15th rank whore, because that's about the next time you're going to find information from me. Am I right, priest? Am I right? <laughs> so they have this conversation, right? And he he's like, you know, she just says, look, I want to keep the peace, which is funny. Martin tells Blackthorn, um, you know what? Uh, it seems like they've decided you're going to prison. And that, that's kind of what happens, right? Because he's he comes out hot about this. Hey, what do you got this guy here for? The Christians hate him. Is this is a problem. Going, Tornag is not in a position. I think you would explain this. To, this is a fairly simple read of it. He's not in a position to like outright flounce Ashido right now. Hmm. So he has to kind of go with it. So he says, yeah, I, whatever. I don't care. He can go to prison. Notice he didn't say I'll kill him. He says he can go to prison. Yeah. I think if there was anything in Toronaga's internal monologue, he was probably hoping that Ashido didn't just go, yeah, well, prison's not good enough. You have to kill him. Cause I don't think he even could have told him no in that situation. He had to tell Ashido yes to whatever he was saying. And he was able to sort of de-escalate by sending him to prison and being done with the situation for now. Hopefully to get Ashido out of his living room. And I'm going to note something for our audience that may not be apparent. The samurai do wear colored uniforms representing what camps they are a part of. Toronagas wear brown, something to keep track of. The guys Earth, that, wind, fire, spirit, Wrong show, but you're trying. Oh, I appreciate sorry. you. Um, yeah, and then I, then I got Wheel of Time. Yeah, I got a lot of ideas in my head. Okay, so, but it is Browns that escort Blackthorn to prison. They escort him to a particular prison. Maybe keep track of that for later. Okay, the brown samurai are the ones that took him to the prison. And they're, they're, Browns are the colors of, Tor, of Toronaga's followers. Have a question. In the history of people being dragged to prisons, yes, has any person dragging a person to prison heard the words, this must be a mistake, and stopped and said, you know what? I think it might be. Actually, I'm not going to drag you to this prison. Has it ever worked once? It's in the category of that any show ever actually did that. I would be laughing too hard from the utter subversion of that trope to be able to watch for a bit. Because no, obviously, no guard that has ever been asked to ever. send somebody to prison has ever turned around when they said, I'm innocent, I didn't do it. Because I think they've probably heard it before. Yeah, the, I, there, there must be a mistake. You know, he yells this, and it's like, it's never worked in the history of people being dragged to prison, what, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, once a version but also, also this, the decision-making is very centralized in this society, right? Like, the lords make the call. Like, they, they, these people I'm going to question Toronaga? For you? I just don't feel like this is the type of organization where people, where the, 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 the performance evaluations are like, you know what I'd like you to do? More independent decision making. I need you to go out on a limb every once in a while. No, they, they take their order. They do it. It's a particular society where it wouldn't work even more than others. And it's never worked anywhere. Also, Blackthorn's also yelling at them. And I'm going to presume is Portuguese. So they don't even understand what the hell he's saying. Either. Solid point. That's a solid point. For, before we even get to the fact that, like, culturally, like, these people are not, this is not a society where the guards are going to go, you know what, I, I think my lord's wrong on this one. I'm just going to leave you out. Um, come back to the castle. Mariko is talking to a young boy. 
I thought of, I thought of one thing that vaguely subverted the whole trend about you know declaring they're innocent and the guards ignoring them. Did you ever see the mm. did you ever see the movie adaptation, the most recent one of the Count of Monte Cristo? Explain it. Speak. Uh, what uh, cl- classic work of fiction? But there's a moment of when the main character is brought to a prison, and one of the first things he says to the prison um, um, uh, the the leader of the prison, like like what the term is, um, the warden, is that I, I'm, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. And the warden just looks at him and says, "Of course you are. They wouldn't have sent you here if you were if you were guilty." So th- th- uh, there there is this subversion that comes to mind of where if it is a prison of where it is just presumed actually that you are innocent, they are willing to acknowledge that, but obviously do nothing about it because they sent you here on purpose. Okay, well, that's slightly. So uh, we'll give Close it a enough. half. We'll give it a half for the question of has it ever worked in the history of people trying that. <laughs> at least they acknowledged you were innocent. Mariko's talking to a young boy, it's her son, and um, confirming the wild rumor, just wild, just the, the I mean, my gosh, Osaka is fucking on fire with this rumor. Are his eyes really blue? Are they really blue? And she goes, yeah, it is. It's like the color of a shifting storm is how she describes his eyes. Interesting. Um, and then he, they start going back and forth about his hair color. Is it like Daikon? She goes, no, it's more like Gobo. And she's having a good time with her son. God mm-hmm. for fucking bed. I mean, my God. Buntaro. Like, b- your wife is trying to have a good time with her kid. And in yeah. comes this fucking asshole. Uh, he just, stinks. Let me just also ask you, if you wanted to do a list of things that make Mariko happy, do you think that's more than ten things? She doesn't come across as necessarily the happiest person the in the world. Ever seen, this is the only smile we've seen in two episodes. She loves her son, light of her life, and yet she's married to this some bitch. He stinks. God, does any does everybody know my position on Putaro yet? Because I think I, I don't think I've made it clear. I don't like the guy, so he that, comes in. How did Hir, how did Hiromatsu make this? But Hiromatsu seems like a like a guy you'd really want to spend some time with. Iron Fist, great dude. This is his son and heir. Apple, the apple rolled down a hill to get away from the tree. That uh, makes perfect sense to me. Perfect fucking sense because Hiromatsu's probably worked all the time and never spent time with <laughs> Valid point. And you know, it makes perfect sense. Anyway, Butaro comes in. He wants to know why she was summoned. Uh, she explains about her practice in her Portuguese. I, I, I went to, I you know, I, I went to him because I was practicing my Portuguese. That's all I was doing. Butaro asks, why would he even want you to practice your, your Portuguese? He's getting upset. I don't get the sense that this is infrequent, that this happens. He asked the son, why would your mother, why, here's, here's the exact wording of this, because it's kind of strange wording. Mm-hmm. He asked his son, why your mother should be anything outside this house? <laughs> why should she be anything outside this house? How did you, a harsh way to phrase that. How did you interpret that line? Because you said it is, an, it is a very interesting way to get that point across. It, it confirms to me very quickly that Buntaro is jealous of his wife. Mm-hmm. He does not want her to have standing, a job. Um, he doesn't want her to have things he doesn't have. So that's why he's like, you need to stay. Like he wants her to stay there and not, not just stay in the house, but not be anything but a housewife. Right. That's what's important to him is that she doesn't have anything that could make him look bad. Again, insecure. I don't know. Dad was never home. It's all working out here, Spencer. It's all working out. <laughs> and from what we've seen of the character so far, does Mariko seem the type to just simply be a wilting flower, to just be nothing but a house a housewife trapped inside closed doors? 
No, and you know what's crazy is that, like, I'd never be boys with Buntara, but I do feel like I'd have pulled him aside and been like, bro, you don't even want this. No. Like, you don't even want this type of woman. Like, you, you, you trust me, you don't. Because she's going to do some shit because she's Mariko. She's going to accomplish some things from time to time, and that's going to piss you off. Why are you even marrying her? Made no sense. And yet here we are. But luckily, luckily, are. to save the day, nature of the guy, Hiromatsu arrives on scene. He rolls up. He says, Toronaga's called another meeting. Butara goes to get up and he goes, but... <laughs> Not you. for you. And that just compounds the issue, right? Uh, you know, they, they have a short time. Like, unlike the book, they've got a short period to try to explain this dynamic. So they, they hit it pretty quickly with these two things, right? Him saying, I don't want you to be anything outside this house. And then him getting visibly upset because she was called to the meeting and he wasn't, right? We got it. Boom. We got it right away. He's jealous of his wife. That, that, that is what we are getting 100% out of this scene. And it's notable, though, that it seems like it catches Mariko off guard that she is being called in this capacity. Cut to Mariko walking with Hiromatsu. Mariko sits and uh, greets Lady Kiri. I gotta say, Lady Kiri, delightful. I, she, she is delightful. She she is utterly great, and we are very quickly get how close her and Toronaga's relationship is. The Toronaga clearly we talked about him being good buddies with Hiromatsu, but he's he maintains those rules of decorum. But we see a bit of a certain degree of impish humor bleed through when it comes when he interacts with when he interacts with Kiri. Two of them does clearly get, have a lot of affection for each other. They do. Uh, you're you're right. It does come across like you're in a staff meeting with like a really hard ass boss, and then like the boss's like favorite comes in, and mm-hmm. then like you're like, how can he say that to her? Like, how can he? She never lets us talk like that. Like how? Like that's kind of almost the feeling that you get from everybody else. Because Toronaga, while while not, I don't, I wouldn't call him cold. He's also not warm. Like, he's controlled. Like, He's he's not somebody you want to come up to and like, hey, here's on my day and like word vomit to him. But I, I don't also get to sense he's like evil or something, right? Mm-hmm. But like, she is just blah 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 talking with him. Now the the person who is uh, pregnant with his son, or I mean they're saying son, but it's probably they probably don't really know is Lady Shizu. Thank you. Name. And, and, and cl- clarification for the audience: both Kiri and Lady Shizu are his consorts. Toronaga has a variety of consorts. Lady Shizu is being he married to anyone? I don't think he is, if I remember the book correctly. So he's uh, just got a bunch of girlfriends, but he's not married. And, and I believe I believe the Lady Ochiba was also just the consort of the Taiko. Consorts can are positions very much protected within the society. It's not viewed as any way you know mistress or anything like that. But but there is still the the idea that you still can marry. It's not obvious that you can marry, but then you're getting into like legal management of assets kind of thing, of where a consort can be a protected woman, source of your heirs, very much a member of your family, but they're not the same thing as being like your wife. That, yeah, that, I mean, I've got level. some. Yeah, I've got rich friends who who date forever and never get married. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what's going I, on. I here. do Easy. not know to any degree of who you speak. Kiri points out they met 16 years ago. Now she's talking to Marika, which is just great. Um, she does throw in a couple things, though, because this lady Kiri, not, she's not just an airhead. She says that the last feast given by Lord Kuroda, who is that, Spencer? Who is she referencing, Lord Kuroda? Lord Kuroda or Kuroda, I think it's Kuroda in the show, is, he was basically the predecessor to the Taiko in terms of being one of the, one of the great unifiers of Japan. Hmm, and get, one get. that Mariko's family was very much connected with in a way you'll find out more about later. 
she seems to get sad at the reference, right? And they yes. find out that it was when Marika was first married. So now we get a little bit of background. She's been married 16 years ago. That puts her about mid-30s, I would say. That about jives with the actress. All of this is lining up. Uh, very much so. And again, from what we get in this scene, would, how long would you say that Toranaga and Kiri have been, have been palling around together? Like, order of decades, you would say? Yeah, it seems that way. Um Maybe, yeah, because she's the daughter of... No, she got married to Hiromatsu's. So maybe for the 16 years, right? Maybe as soon as she got married to... Kiwi and Toradai, Mariko's been uh, making circles around them ever. It's just just a reference from the book. of These two have been together so long in some shape or form that she was like in the household of a guy that had kidnapped Toranaga when he was like eight. This is how long... Oh, here's my Kiri, yeah. How long him and Kiri have known each other. Yeah, they've been together a long time, right? But also, it seems like Kiri is... Um, She's done Mariko a ways. Right, but what's interesting is that Kiri says she hasn't seen her in a long time. Yes. So, you know... Maybe Buntaro's getting his way? Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe maybe Mikira, maybe uh, Mariko hasn't really been around this, uh, and that this is actually really abnormal for her to be getting this much face time with the Lord, right? I think that's kind of what we're meant to think. So I, I, I think Taranaga himself even said that is that he's known Mariko a while, but he's not really brought her to him in terms of like an advisor or kind of formal capacity almost ever. So you're left with the show is either inconsistent or Toranaga is just that smart. And I'll talk about why, <laughs> why I said that in just a second. So Lady Shizu leaves. Um, Toranaga asked Mariko for her interpretation on how things went that day. She says, Mark, Martin's trustworthy. Didn't lie while translating. And the barbarian, she says, I'd guard against him. She basically says she urges caution in dealing with our guy, Blackthorn. Um, she, he said, Toradaga says, well, did he offend you talking about your faith? And I love this line from her potential line of the episode. Uh, My faith would not be sincere if it could not be tested. Mm-hmm. So that's a very solid line. Hiramatsu speaks up with a speech. I suspect he'll give about once per episode. I'm going to put the over-under on Hiramatsu giving this exact same speech it's about kind, once per episode. It's kind of his job. Which is basically the Japanese version of, hey, look, I'm just a small-town bird lawyer here, but it seems to me that uh, we're not dealing with the real issue. Like, that's basically what he says every time. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, what does this have to do with any of your impeachment? He says, my grandchild was born today. He doesn't answer that question, of course, directly. Of course, he doesn't. It's Toronto. We, we, we talked about this in the last episode. The show incorporated it. Lady Ochiba was visiting her sister while she was in labor. Yeah, he says, yeah, my grandchild was born today. Lady Ochiba requested to return to Osaka. Obviously, I've granted it. Otherwise, it would be a hostile act, which makes me think he did consider rejecting it, <laughs> but, but figured he couldn't do that. Um, Hiramatsu says, uh, so now the council is just going to vote, vote fucking kill us all? Like, what the fuck? He goes, yeah, but my spies tell me this. The barbarian troubles the Portuguese. They will soon ask the Christian regions, Kiyama and Ono, to protest his presence in Osaka. So he is starting to figure out that the barbarian, our guy Blackthorn, could be helpful helpful in multiple ways. You know how people say the phrase on a lot of levels? Mm-hmm. You know, they say like, yeah, he's blah, 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 on a lot of levels. Oh, yeah. I have, I have, I have a good friend of mine who always goes, name the levels. He always <laughs> tells people to name the levels. This is a rare example of a time when you could actually start naming the levels of how he could be helpful, right? He can be helpful with the technology, with the geography, with his intel into the Portuguese, but also his ability to disrupt the council vote. It, 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 the main use that, well, I mean, Blackthorn, Blackthorn is it's almost just dropping a few, a few, a few uh, levels just so he can reveal an aspect of what he's thinking to, you know, 
his subordinates right here, but allowing Mariko to kind of voice them for him. But the main one he's framing here is that his mere presence is disruptive because forces at work here are going to prioritize focusing on him rather than me for a minute. Yeah, and here Matsu's confused about why they would why the Christian regions would care. And this is the part where either Toronaga is just that smart or the show is inconsistent because they just established with us it, through a conversation that Toronaga had with Mariko in episode one. And then also the conversation that Mariko had with Kiki and the others. It's Kiki, right? Yeah. Um, Kiru. Shizu. Uh, no, no, Kiri. No, no, Kiki, Kiru Kiki, and, Kiki, you're right. You're right, you're right. Uh, and Shiru and, and uh, Shizu and the group when she first sat down, which is that she's not no, been Kiri. around. Sorry. It's Kiri, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's not been around Toronaga that often. She's not been around them. That's that's now been established sort of as fact. Mm-hmm. Because like the lady who is the closest with Toronaga that we we have seen who can like jibe him and talk about the size of her butt and all this stuff that they were sitting there doing <laughs> hasn't seen her in fucking sixteen years. But apparently Toronaga knows her well enough that as soon as Hiramatsu, his right hand, his buddy, his lieutenant ask this question which seems to be vexing the whole room Toronaga he looks down at mariko immediately just and answer, goes answer the question for me thank you do you want to try now how the fuck does he know that she would know that Toronaga. how does he even know to go to send it to her it, that, that that that's a part where i'm struggling with explain it to me. Uh, my, the be- I, I i think you've summarized it perfectly tornaga has gotten to meet her twice now before this conversation and I think we are being led to believe that that is enough that he has vetted the capabilities and the usefulness of this particular individual. And he is giving her a chance to demonstrate it to the room. You ever see, you, you're a lawyer, you've seen it. The show Suits. I have. The main protagonist in Suits is a young kid who's like caught up in some stuff he shouldn't be doing. And he ends up working at a law firm when he's kind of half a lawyer, half not. He passed the bar, but he, yeah. he didn't go to law school. And... The, the fundamental problem with the show that they could never get past that they'll never that, that, that it was it was dead in the water it was a zombie show when it started is that they made their protagonist too strong yes he was too smart the kid was too smart he literally memorized every single book he's ever read his entire life that's not realistic he, he was a friggin mentat he was barely human at a certain stage <laughs> yeah it's not it's not realistic I worry that they're showing Hiramatsu or I'm sorry, uh, Tornaga as a little bit too smart. Like the fan, what the book does so well is we see him be smart, but it's not all the time. He's not beating you over your head with it. He's not reciting a book he read when he was in sixth grade, right? Like he's perceptive, but in a realistic way, I'm starting to worry this is veering into unrealistic. What, what do you say to that criticism? Uh, what I think with, it'll be interesting to see how the show balances out. Cause I agree that uh, he's can be a difficult character to, to portray on screen because we get to spend so much time in his damn head. When it comes to the book, we get to see his doubts. We get to see his uncertainties. We get to see him be surprised. The show is going to have to portray aspects of him not being perfect for right now. We're getting to see his intelligence. We're getting to see his capabilities. We haven't gotten to spend as much time with his foibles, with his fallibilities. We'll see how the show is able to balance those out. I think, you know, to argue with myself here, which I love to do on the podcast, is he does seemingly lose control of the situation with Blackthorne here in a moment, right? Where Blackthorne was going to be executed, and I'm not sure that Toronaga had a plan to save him. If it wasn't for Yabu trying to play both sides, he probably would have died. So that may be that may be a response to that. But it just seems like he was a little bit more perceptive than I would expect 
with Mariko, considering he's talked to her eh, twice in 16 he, years. He voiced in the last episode how, 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 how much he was realizing that she was intelligent and capable. It was one of the last lines we got from him in the last episode. The man is aware of it. The man has seen it. The man has read the person. As you said, one of Toronto's best abilities is reading those in front of him. Yeah, and he was able to pick up that she's smarter than his lieutenant. Fantastic. Uh, because our lord can only be impeached if the council votes as one, he uses the barbarian to sow division between Ishidu and Christian lords. This is what uh, Mariko says after he nods at her. Here, Matsu picks up on it. Toronaga goes, um, you could use some of her intuition, so needle in his body a little bit. And Hiramatsu asks if he's certain, and he just walks away. So that's that scene. Um, maybe I'm picking a little bit too much, but I'm, I, I am guarding against the concern that maybe Tornago will come off as superhuman at some point. We do, we do not want invincible protagonists. Yeah. Cause like with the show suits, that show is so good because the main partner, Harvey, the senior yeah. partner is flawed is, is a realistic character who happens to be really smart. Like I yes. believe that character. I don't believe the, the kid that's working for him Mike for a second. M- Mike, the yeah, name of the kid. Yeah. It, they, yeah. It, but Harvey's so good that you still want to keep watching. So I'm just worried that this show might encounter that at some point. I don't know. We'll see. Cut Black Thorn. He's in prison. It's not going well. People being taken out. Looks like one on the hour every hour. Something like that's that. That's what and he says. Being killed. Being killed right uh, out but- there. It seems like there's something that's surprising in this prison, something he wasn't expecting in a Japanese prison situated in the outskirts of Osaka. What? There's a man going around and praying with each each person. He's saving them. He's making sure their souls are going to go whoop right and have it easy, like a like a one of those um, like when you're going through tolls and you have the thing on your car where you can the just sun go pass. Right you don't. Have, he, yeah, you got it. You got an easy pass he, into heaven. That's the, exactly he, what he's giving them. Uh, <laughs> The easy pass to absolution. God, do not give any Christian church ideas. Yeah, got it right here. That's what he's walking around. He's giving it to everybody. But then he sees Blackthorn. He goes, oh, the senior is real. So he's apparently heard whispers about uh, Blackthorn. And the guy, whose name we get here in a moment, tells him the people in the prison are being persecuted for their faith. They're children of his flock. He points out that Blackthorn is speaking Portuguese, but in Portuguese, what the fuck's up with that? And he goes, I'm English. And he goes, oh shit, you're English. How about that? That's something. This is a further example of how they're portraying Blackthorn as a much more upfront and honest character, I would say, in the book. Because in the book, he actually lies by omission that kind of works into the idea that he's a a German Catholic. Deceives the priest without directly ever saying such. But they're continuing a trend with the character of where he is much more upfront about his about his intents yeah and you know like he's he it's what's interesting is like blackthorn's in this position of like about maybe about what eight months ago like if you were in dc and you were like you got pulled over by the police and you were like yeah but i work for george santos (laughs) they'd be like george santos like that's not going to get you out of the speeding ticket, my man. Like he's about to get kicked out of here. Like he's a, he's he's yesterday news. Like you you can't hit your wagon to him. That's basically what he's saying about Toronaga, because that's the word on the street. Is that Toronaga's in trouble? Is she just got control of the council? They're about to vote to impeach him. All his people are going to die. It's curtains for Toronaga. But he's really trying to get Blackthorn to come to terms with the fact is that dude, you are here to die. It's like you're you're the fact you're here means you're going to be executed at some hour on the hour thing anyway. But your lifeline is a guy that's also going about to die. And if you get out of here, you will die with him. So let's ponder mortality here together in the eyes of God. And before we do that, I'd like to just, whoop, I want to like upload. Let's take the thumb drive out of my computer, stick it into yours. I'd like to upload all my knowledge of the council directly to you. Okay, 
Class is starting. Uh, Speaking to the audience in what is, for me, the least organic part of the episode. Not remotely. It makes it makes not a ton of sense that he knows this information on the show because they haven't contextualized his role. Yeah. And then why he would just word vomit it all out and like name each individual person. I don't know. That's why at the start of this, I was like kind of a little tongue in cheek where I'm like, we are going to learn the damn council. <laughs> yes. Because they make sure of it. So, uh, Sergi Yama, descendant from the richest samurai family in Japan. Oh no, a feared warrior whose affliction of leprosy led him into the arms of the church. So it's another thing to know about. Oh no. Yes, he has leprosy. But he also was a feared warrior before he mm-hmm. got leprosy. Um, Kiyama, a man whose faith in Christ is guided only by his greed and ambition. This is something you covered earlier in the episode. That Kiyama is being portrayed as a mercenary, as someone who's only interested in the Christian religion and what it can it can produce for him in the way of profits, in the trade that he is going to have with the Portuguese and what it can accomplish for him. And then, of course, uh, we round the whole thing out with Ashido and Toronaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there you go. That's what he. That's, what he, that's what he, how he kind of explains the council to him. As you say, he's word vomiting. Also, to a certain degree, though, this is the first white dude that actually just speaks his own language naturally. He's met in a while. He may just really want to talk with somebody. But well, we also yeah, see- that is your. That's your book. That 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 is your book by a seeping in because it that's is. exactly the what we. That's exactly what we get in the book. Is that the guy just wants to. Talk. The, the, the guy and is actually wor- the guy is actually word vomiting in the book. He's almost he almost passes out when he sees Blackthorn. It makes it clear in the book when he says it, the Senor is real. He thinks he's just hallucinating because he's been hallucinating for the years he's been in this prison. And so then we cut we cut we cut that scene right, and we we go to Ashido, who basically is doing like when the Prime Minister of England has the red box. That they fill up the, the, with like daily the important news and everything letters. else, and and they got to take it out and like sign a couple things and pass it on. And I guess the king or queen does the same thing, except theirs is like fake money, mm. like it's like monopoly <laughs> money that the queen is dealing with. Like that's what the Shido has here. He's just like stamping shit and moving it along. And he's like Tommen in Game of Thrones. Just stamp it, sign it, move it along. And he that's what he's doing. Visibly unhappy to be doing so. This is not Doesn't a look happy. Does not seem like he's enjoying his position of prestige in terms of signing the orders of the realm. Don't you get the feeling that he's hurt? Like, so we've already heard somebody in Toronaga's camp refer to them as bureaucrats. Yes. We hear Ishido refer to them as bureaucrats in a minute. I think, yeah, but I think that's gotten back to him. I think he stews on that word bureaucrat. What? Because he brings it up later and he seems to be stewing on it here. And we we also see later when Ishido's talking with Yabu, he's referred to as like a great general, as one of the leaders of the Taiko's invasion of Korea. We, I, I think we're getting enough to see that the man is uncomfortable with the position that he is now operating in and been cast in. That may also reflect in his burstness, his roughness in terms of interacting with the various um, trappings of power and politics. Yeah, it cuts him talking with the other council members. Um, Sans Toradaga, this is Shido talking to the other council members, and they discuss in the Lady Ochiba has been permitted to leave. Um, Sujiyama uh, takes this as Toronaga accepting his fate. So this is like the sort of older rich guy, mm-hmm. Sujiyama, right? That's kind of how the, how the show's portrayed him. And he's like, oh yeah, he accepted his fate. Like, give credit to you, Ashido. And he's like, yeah, thank me after we put it into the Toronaga threat. This is Ashido showing at least a tad more insider intuition than he has previously. You know, the rest of the council. Yes, he has previously the rest of the council. He, I think he's gotten enough sense now that Toronaga's not rolling over and playing dead. He has, he's not well, seeing the belly of the cat, right? He knows 
This is not a surrender motion. Well, which is the very reason that he's even called this particular council meeting. He goes right from that, hey, it's not, it's not over until we sign the order. Kind of the, Let's vote now. And this is and this is a in-world example of what happens in the podcast when I say, Spencer, you have to pick right now between these two things. Uh, and it has to happen. And this is exactly what he tells the council. And the council gives him the same fucking response that you give me. Where they're like, Lee, I got a third yeah, thing we got to talk about first. I just got, we got to get this third thing done. And then we can get back to the two things you want to talk about. Because this third thing, it's real important, man. Actually, it's a mission I've gotten from God that we got to resolve this first before we can get to your particular bullshit. So, yeah, let's talk about that first. One time I asked him to rank his favorite fantasy series. I asked Spencer to rank his favorite fantasy series. And like me and another friend badgered him for a long time. And then he, he, he extolled how great Tolkien was and said, a lot of people say <laughs> Tolkien wrote the best fantasy ever. And I think that's well earned. That's what you told us. That's the closest we I think you're get. actually so, quoting me there. That's perfectly, that's my words. That's 100% what you said. Because I was like, this fucking guy, he gets out, he weasels out of it. That's exactly what the council's doing here. They're weaseling out of the vote, right? And Kiyama addresses him saying, look, there's one item of business. They don't, first of all, nobody, I think what's interesting is that the other three likely talked about this because yeah. no one motions to vote. They all seem to be expecting what Kiyama's going to do here, right? Um, because he says, one item of business, it's the heretic. He goes on to say, look, I'm glad he's in prison, but he's got to go. We got to, we got to kill him. And then this is a Shido you know, frustrated on the floor of the Senate that like now we have to do a third reading and wait another 24 hours before the bill could be passed to go back to the house, to be reconciled, to go back to the Senate. Like he's like, God damn it. Everybody sees us as bureaucrats. I, that, that he, that he's ranting about how slow they're moving. Right. Kiyama goes on to say, look, this guy offends my God. And he goes, I wonder if you'd be so devoted to this God were it not for the riches his priests heap upon you. Which if I, if I had to quibble with any line in the show, this episode, this might be my number one line. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of show not tell. This is telling. It, this is a little too obvious. And it, like, first off, I understand it's in line with Ashido's personality because he's so much of a like you called him a bull in a, in a bull in a china shop, right? But my God, like the, the, we're let it. It's more rewarding if we piece together. That Kiyama is like this, not if Ishida just tells us. Now, two people in a row have told us this within five minutes of each other. Because the priest just told us this. It's like, fucking... Ugh. I'm not the most fond of how they're portraying the Kiyama character so far. I'm hoping they're going to add more complexity later. And this is just the perspective these characters have on him. Um, because, like you said, it's too blunt. Hell, Ishida is too blunt in this moment. That's a straight-up insult to another Lord of the Realm. It's like, I get you're trying to get that he's a bit of a bull in a china shop, but... That, them's fighting words you just said to the face of an honorable guy. Yeah, like, if you're going to have a character that, that, is, that is this one note, like, let us learn it. Let us figure it out on our own. That's a tad rewarding. Or let it be a misdirection. And by the way, I just don't feel like Kiyama is going to stand in front of the Portuguese and goes, actually, my honor will not allow me. You know, like, I, I don't think we're getting that he, that face turn not, from Kiyama. Not, so, not yet, anyway. <laughs> uh, not a fan. So, um... So it gets quiet, and then Kiyama addresses him, um, continues to talk about this deal with the riches. Um, or no, he said this. He said the thing about the riches, and it got quiet. And then um, Kiyama says, look, I won't delay this any further. Or, or no, sorry. Uh, let, me, let me get this right. Hmm? He says this um, thing, this like, 
wine we didn't like about you know yeah. the, the riches we, we, and etc kiyama gets quiet but then ashido continues and says i won't delay this any further i demand a vote on toranaga ono comes out from behind the curtain <laughs> literally i mean it's so hack look the f- folks who think i actually have any real comedic skills please skip ahead 15 seconds okay <laughs> Okay. Oh no, he didn't. You oh, absolute yes. shit. <laughs> that is that is actually painful to me. I am injured as a result of your words. Oh, it was terrible. Anyway, Ono comes out from behind the curtain and he definitely has leprosy, except the fingers. Yeah. And he says the heretic must die first. So he's he's on board. And now Ashido realize i'm not i'm not just bucking one counselor i've got two against me that's 40 percent of the council as i live and breathe like i gotta be careful here which if ishida was a little bit more politically adept his response could be okay let's sign that warrant and after that today or tomorrow let's then vote on toranaga let's get them both done let's get them both done together i kind of assume that right like he did see he did say that he can die i think i think probably he's saying I'd be shocked if he didn't it's an order of operations vote. issue rather than we're not we're not we're not in favor of this anymore issue. So the priest who is in the cell is Domingo, right? Yes. Who is Fa- uh, father? Still... He's not a priest. He's he is actually he's actually a monk. Oh, okay. Father. Does he believe in Jesus? Uh, well, there's a certain disagreement about what is and what is not God. But sure, go on. Yes, he believes in Jesus. Yeah, it's all the same shit. He's even a Catholic too, but he's also <laughs> having an argument with the Jesuits, which oh, is why he's in prison, according to him. Three quarters of our audience here. It's all the same shit, Spencer. Um, There's so a lovely line in the book during that scene of when uh, the um, Alvito and Blackthorn are presenting to Toronaga, where Toronaga summarizes it. Okay, so the argument, the war between your two countries is over what is and what is not God. Like, yeah, that's kind of it. That's a really dumb reason for y'all to be at war, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. it's like, how does this affect, like, how does this affect, you know, what you eat? You know, how you how you live, how you sleep, your safety. Yeah, it's yeah. just dumb. Yeah, so he's still educated. Domingo's still educating Blackthorn. He's explaining that Toronago was born in Minowara. For centuries, his ancestors dominated this country with a defined mandate. A title, revered through the ages, the ultimate rank a mortal can receive, Shogun. I think this is the first time mm-hmm. Blackthorn hears the word Shogun. Or understands the concept, right? Tornaga, does he seek this title? And uh, Domingo sort of laughs it off. Someone comes in and calls for another prisoner. Domingo says he should be worried about dying. He could be a martyr. And he's. this is something that's very interesting about the Blackthorn in the show is that you almost feel like he's been like visited by the divine in like a dream or something, right? Because he keeps saying, I'm not meant to die here. I know I'm not meant to die here. I know it. Like, I, how do, you know, you, you kind of begs the question how, how he knows this, but he seems very sure. He has a profound sense of his own destiny. 100% agree. It is his most repeated line. It's almost a motif of the character is him just chanting to himself, this is not where I die. Yeah. So he explains that he came there in 72 clutching the rosary 72 so that's probably what years. 28 years ago yeah because we're, we're at 1600 then he says uh the learn the true tenets of the cloth uh the true tenets of the cloth here it is spencer silk golden guns yeah the, Oof, the, the, this is how the sausage Oof. gets made says the jesuits care nothing for the souls of the japanese their idol is the cursed black ship now the black ship let's go ahead and 
to find that that is the ship that's the name they've given to the ship that carries the trade back and forth and this is borrowing from the japanese referred to them as the black ships the black hold vessels that would transport as part of the triangle trade across the pacific the silk in one direction the silver in another direction as part of providing for everyone but the portuguese being the ones who really get wealthy but he also explains that's how they dominate trade the chinese hate japan yeah. so all trade goes through the portuguese it's usury so like they they basically they a massive shuffle. markup yeah they just shuffle shit back and forth between these two cultures who refuse to speak to each other they charge a massive markup they do they provide no other service other than just shipping it uh, they, they are they are a really uh really really full of themselves dhl this is like a dhl just <laughs> hey, you know they speak all steve if steve jobs ran dhl that's what's sir, going on here. someone's got to speak all the languages someone's got to move all the goods someone's got to assume all the risk that comes with moving and storing and arranging all of these transactions they are providing useful services to all parties to which they contract this is the late taikyo tried to put a stop to it why wouldn't you now, but it's just interesting how he tried to put a stop to it. I wonder, my question. Hey, Professor, got a question. Got a question Mr. Waterfield, yes. Yeah, so the Taikyo, when he tried to put a stop to it, did he do that by trying to evade Japan or China? Did, uh, it was, he, was that, like, instead of like, hey, we could maybe talk to him and just cut the Portuguese out of this deal, did he just go try to take their country? Uh, no, he tried to uh, ban all of Christianity in Japan. Hmm. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah. So, but in the same vein, a massive reaction to a simple problem. <laughs> Tycho operate big. Tycho do big thing. It seemed that way. He says the church incited the rebellion and smuggled guns from that secret base in Macau. Oh boy. Blackthorn, no dummy. <laughs> Tie and two and two together. The information he already has. A man who said he'd been to that base and there are Japanese guards. Hundreds Ronin. of them. Remember this now. He met a different person who said there was Japanese guards at a base that he didn't know the name of. Now he knows it's Macau. Now he knows it's a secret base that the church um, smuggled guns from when they incited a rebellion and, under the late Taikyo. And the show seemed to be seemed to be suggesting it's just somebody else he met in the past, and maybe it's part of his interest in Japan, or maybe it's somebody associated with the rudder. In the books, it's actually Rodriguez. Rodriguez, who has shattered his leg in the book. Rodriguez seems to be walking in five He's five. Yeah, he's doing nope, just fine. No broken yeah. leg there. In the books, he Casual damn limp. near dies. And as part of his, like, barely conscious state, he just starts word-vomiting shit to Blackthorn, and Blackthorn writes some notes down. Yeah, he never really gets better, per se, in he, the book. I mean, it's, it's a life-changing injury that he always has. always limp and be in pain. Um, but yeah, so it, let's go ahead and just explain the timeline here. So what is being suggested is that they, the Portuguese established a secret base in the region, in, in Japan's region. In, in China, that, that's where Macau is, yeah. Right, but in there, but in... It, how Japanese rulers, yes. when thinking about the Portuguese, would broadly define that barrier. Hundred percent. They they, right. they want to take over Korea and China, right? So there's a secret base there, and they smuggled guns out of that secret base into Japan to incite a rebellion because the Taikyo tried to stop the Portuguese from just shipping shit back and forth between let's say japan and china but there are other exa other examples of this too and, and charging and everything markets. else yes the steve jobs the steve jobs at dhl situation as you said we seem to have found ourselves in that's exactly that's what happened here right and this is what our guy blackthorn picks up now <laughs> blackthorn's taking notes one thing i really enjoy is that you you explain to us and i think now we can watch for it 
is we can watch for Blackthorn's intelligence, yes. right? Because you explain, like, he is a really smart guy. He picks things up. He has context. Because he's not actually, his brand of intelligence is not too far off from Taranga's. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they read people and pick things up and use that to their benefit. Am I, am I off base there? A hundred percent. Particularly what we see with Blackthorn is the man makes connections. And he makes use of them quickly. Of where, I got a bit of information in Macau. You just said that. I can link those two together. And here's how I can use it. And he does that. We, we're watching that happen live in terms of how fast he's putting that together and how fast he's weaponizing it. Yeah. He says, I'm, I, Blackthorn's like, I got to tell him. And Mingo's like, yeah, you can't play by their rules. Their rules are too opaque. Their heart's too guarded. I think that, I think that was a response. I think what, what Blackthorn was saying was right. He does need to tell him. That is his way out. That is a, a powerful lever he has that he can pull. Also, I, but I also think what Domingo spat back at him was also true. Their rules are very opaque, and their hearts are very guarded, and it's a difficult, difficult sandbox to play. In. It's like it's, like, it, it's one of the most, difficult Zen garden to play. In. Yeah, to work off your Steve Jobs comparison, they got a great product here, but what the priest is trying to tell him is you got to work on your branding. It's all about the packaging. It's all about how you present it. You can't just go in there, just throwing that out there. They'll eat you alive or ignore you entirely. Yeah, Domingo says he may not know Blackthorn. He's seen many. Uh, well, I may not know you. I, I have seen many. I've seen many of you. Yeah. I know. I know you're kind, and so he's underestimating Blackthorn clearly. Um, cut to a por- uh, Portuguese tra- uh, tr- uh, trader who comes up to Father Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, he it, wants to know if Martin is on the way to the castle. Th- th- this is the ca- this is the, the captain this year of the black ship of Ferria. I'll look up his name, but I think it's Ferria. Yeah, so he's the guy who's like, I'm ready to get this black ship rolling. we got to get these profits rolling. Martin's like, yeah, 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 I hear you. But right now, Taranga is still the guy to give that order. So now Martin's got his marching orders to go talk to Taranga about this later. That is the conversation the two of them have. It's interesting to see how much the captain is, how would you phrase it? Disrespectful? Distrusting? Distaste, uh, has distaste in his mouth when it comes to the priest? Because he's actively spatting and cursing the priest as he goes. He seems to have no tolerance no patience for the priest hiding behind the idea of like i'm an impartial third party bullshit fucking not and i'm not you're not going to say it to me like he's not going to allow it that you are running this apparatus and it makes me money so get 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 going with the job of running it and possibly more important it's making you money yes The, the, the church makes money off of this the priests are making money off of this it's not they, they aren't just helping for the sake of help. They're, yes. they're reaping the profits. So cut to Martin walking through the castle. He comes up to Mariko. So he has this conversation with Mariko. And, and it the, it's clear this is a, a big warning. I like Mariko, but there was, this was a big warning sign for me in the book. And it is in the show as well. It's like, uh-oh, she likes and trusts Martin. 100%. And That's going to be difficult for all involved at a certain point because she's going to give him the benefit of the doubt at times. And we see that come out a little bit when she's trying to translate for our guy Blackthorn later. Do, do you think Martin likes her? Or is it entirely a one-way street? Um, you know, my impression is that he likes her in a very condescending way. As a pupil, as a well-trained... You're learning. That's cute. You're doing a great job. Yeah, that sort of shit. And yeah, I, it's not... Yeah, I, it, it's, it's interesting to, to dress up, because as you said, she clearly seems to adore and value him for a variety of reasons and from a variety of bases. His perspective on her... His efforts at manipulating her seem very, very direct. Very, not making much of an effort to hide them in terms of what he's th- what he's throwing at her to try to direct her course of action. 
Look, I, you know, I don't give these Portuguese a heck of a lot of credit for the fact that some of these people have converted to Christianity. Look, <laughs> here's the deal. Christianity is pretty appealing, especially when you compare it to Buddhism. Buddhism tells you you need to work your entire life at the, the hardest work you can do to find peace so that you don't have inner agony, so that you don't suffer, you don't have tort you don't torture. And, and then and then do that die. a thousand more times. Yeah, you'll die, but then you'll get reborn and you won't remember any of this and you'll have all that work to do again. And you're just gonna keep doing it in perpetuity, on and on and on as you go. And if you stumble upon enlightenment, which you probably won't do, then you can go to some nondescript afterlife, but we the Buddha didn't tell you what that was. As opposed to Christianity that comes along and says, if you can tell you can say this sentence. There's a sentence I'm gonna put in front of you. Yeah, go Jesus on, Christ, go Lord on. And Savior. Uh, you, you, when you die, you get to see all your pets, and you get to see all your your friends and family, and you're just in heaven forever. Uh, like, uh, of course, it's pretty fucking appealing. Like, it's not, like, I, you know, at some of these cultures where you have seen Christianity pop up over the years, it's like, well, no shit. It's a pretty appealing thing. It, it's it's got a hell of a lot of marketing, particularly in very stratified societies, that those that are at the lower ends of that, those that are not necessarily in positions of power, it's giving them an opportunity to have be forever in God's eternal grace and live in paradise if they basically get a bath and say the right words. It, it, it's a hell of a marketing pitch. Right. And that's not to say one is right or one is wrong. I'm not trying to disparage any religion in like far as what it may do for a person or how, how actually factual it is. All I'm saying is that I'm not sure the Portuguese should get all the credit here for these people converting. I think they converted because of what Christianity is and the message that they, they get yeah. through the Bible or whatever. Yeah, as you said, so from I'm not calling these fucking Portuguese very talented at this job. Yeah, and as you said, they're dealing with Buddhists and they're dealing with Shintoists, which are basically just ancestor worship, which isn't promising you much other than that you'll be a fellow ghost advising people throughout into the future. This is the environment that they're operating in in terms of doing this. And... They're very experienced at doing this. These are guys that have previously, you know, converted and also subdued the entirety of the New World. This is a well-worked script when it comes to how they get about going into a country, converting the populace, sowing divisions, and then maybe having political influence as time goes on. Right, and then there's the flip side of which is if you don't believe this, then you're going to go to hell for all eternity and you're going to be miserable for the, all of the existence. Carrot and so, stick. Right. And so, you know, you do get some people saying, well, hell, I'll just try it. I mean, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You know, like that's not to, by the way, disclaimer, I have to say, if it works for you. Great. I'm happy it does. Please try to take yourself out of the, this conversation to the extent you can, because I'm not trying to insult any individual person who might no, no, no. believe we're, a religion. We're talking about the pitch, not, the, not the faith. Simply talking about when you have an area that doesn't know about this religion that gets exposed to it why it can be appealing for certain people and why we should give zero credit to the Portuguese for converting Mariko. That's what I'm saying. Utter non sequitur, which is a funny story that I like. Catholic Church has been famous for... I love that. It's famous for missionary marketing. It's been something that they were incredibly skilled at for thousands of years. My favorite example, my girlfriend's name is Bridget. There is a Saint Bridget. There also happens to be a pagan god Bridget that was there before Saint Bridget. And they're associated with the exact domain in terms of their either godly powers or saintly uh, saintly abilities historians now believe that basically the first the first catholic missionaries that arrived in this area said oh you worship the god bridget fascinating we've got one too we've got one too you just call her a saint and just keep doing the exact same shit and suddenly they were christians oh that's interesting that's like uh alexander coming in and being like look this is part of alexandria now yeah but 
here's the deal. The your president, your governor now, you can keep ruling. Um, You're just doing it for me. you can just keep doing the same shit, but, you know, it, it's Alexander. Again, again this, was the cla- this was like the classical era of how you conquer something. You incorporate them, and the Catholic Church has kept that going for hundreds and thousands of years since. And again, if it works for you, we are happy for you. That's not bullshit. So, um, cut to... Th- so, before the scene ends, what's interesting to me is that he references to her that she has confessed to him in the past dark thoughts now i gotta say this not obviously everybody who's listening to this can tell i am not a scholar of any particular religion everybody who heard me try to explain the multiple religions just then knows that i am aware of this one thing when you confess to a priest they're not supposed to just bring it up in casual conversation (laughs) later what you confess to that was a faux fucking pa by our guy martin so my question for you is, what was so important that he was going to breach that protocol and reference that again? I think there's two leaders in the clubhouse. What say you? Uh, you mean in terms of the dark thoughts that he references here? Yeah, what it could be. And, and like, yeah, because like what it could be what, probably relates to why he felt what, like he, he needed to break protocol and talk about what it. What is one of the most fundamental tenets in terms of aspect of Christianity? What is the mo- one of the most senior of sins you can commit as an individual? Suicide. Stab myself in the throat. 100%, and from what we've seen of Bariko just in her conversations with Toranaga, the lady has dark thoughts. And so this would be something that he, as a Christian priest, would be very actively concerned about. He's not revealing it to other people. He's still keeping it between the two of them. The, the, sac- the sacrosanct nature of confession is still maintained, even if it's being flexibly treated that he's saying this out in the open rather than the confession booth right now. But this is an issue... He's not supposed to speak of it again, except in future... Uh, confession yes uh, but it is something he clearly as a as her personal confessor as her priest and as a man who clearly believes in his tenets as we've maybe discussed this would be a live wire that he would have wanted to make sure that are you okay right now or or, or let's go the more manipulative route his next sentence is it's targeted i like I the guy you. i want to think best of him better but this is a targeted timing he says Right after he mentions her dark thoughts, he says, I trust you, especially with the heretic. I've read his journal. Whatever your heart tells you of him, he's guilty of worse. Now, this is bl- it's who- blending of things. Like, it's not one or the other, but the timing is very. I think the concern so is legitimate, question, but the timing is manipulative. So the question becomes, Spencer, I think the leader in the clubhouse has to be that she has confessed to him that in the past she's thought of killing herself, yes. right? That already has yes. been talked yes. about with um, our guy Tornaga. However, because he brings up immediately afterwards and actually says the phrase, whatever your heart tells you of him, preemptively suggesting that she might end up liking this guy. Could she have, uh, could she have been confessing maybe lustful thoughts for other men? Question mark. An interesting question, sir. Perhaps we should return to that topic later. She nods, cuts to Yabu. Yabu doing some kind of fucking weird exercise with his hand. He's doing Yabu things. Um, like, was he like covering the castle with his hand? He's like trying to block it out. Yep, there's the castle. There's not the castle. There's the castle. There's not the castle. I'm in charge. No idea, man. Yeah, that sounds about right for his inner monologue. Look, I painted a beautiful picture. Look, what a weirdo. Yabu's the best, though. In comes Ishido. Here's the proud samurai. I once pulled from under a mountain of Korean corpses. Here's a proud general who will never let me forget it. So here's the thing about Yabu. As much as he has those moments where he's 
Thomas Kincaidian with his fucking fingers and like, you know, doing strange shit. Man's got skills. It seems odd. You don't want to underestimate him in a conversation because he can counterpunch. And that's it, exactly what he does to Ishido. Here. He can counterpunch and he also can murder with the best of them. Ishido, the Lord General of the, of the Taiko's armies in Korea, is saying, dude, you were a badass. That, that, that merits note and probably should, should be treated as ringing true. Yeah, I mean, they have this conversation where basically Ishido's like, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm just chilling here. Uh, I'm not, I know, I know, that's cool. That's fine. I don't need, I don't need to be in the castle. You know, this is me when I'm checking into the hotel and they're like, you know, um, we did, we couldn't get you the two Queens or the suite, uh, but you do have the one queen. Um, and you do have a view of the alley. And I'm yeah, like, you know what? That's but, fine. But, At least I got a room. But Lee, At least Lee I got a room. the complimentary Triscuits are our way of thanking you for staying at the, at the Best Western. Okay, here's the thing. If you like Triscuits over Wheat Thins, I'm going... You, that, that, that gets your friendship application rejected for me immediately. How can anybody hold that position? I, Triscuits over Wheat Thins. I picked Triscuits very pointedly in that conversation. Triscuits are inferior. They stink. They, they do have more options than wheat thins. I feel like. I feel like they're, the triscuits have almost like the Oreo scenario of where like there are forty-five kinds of triscuit dominating an entire aisle of the grocery store. But original triscuits, original wheat thins, wheat thins reign supreme. Here's when you know you have a inferior product when the way you sell it is the shit you can put on top yeah. of it. It's like, hey, triscuits are so great because you could put like an apple and a little caramel and a, and some cinnamon on top of it and eat it. It's like, yeah, but I, that, that just means I like apple and caramel. Like, <laughs> what, what is wrong with this just, product? Just give me the topics. Leave out, leave, leave out the weirdly roasted wheat. Yeah. It need not apply. If you're, if you're going Triscuits over wheat thins, I, I just can't, I can't deal with you. So my guy, Yabu, he's sitting here. He's saying like, it's cool that I'm not he's eating the Triscuits. in the castle. I'm fine. I got my compliment on your Triscuits. I got my view of the alley. And then, you know, he's like, she was like, yeah, when you're all, all so enjoy the Triscuits, you're all going to die. Yeah. And like, Yabu's like, why did you swear to this guy? I mean, I don't even know, but you know, enjoy your death. What's so interesting to me though, is when he's like, yeah, like you're all going to die. And he goes, hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so after that happens, I've been thinking, he goes, <laughs> why are you thinking about that? You'll be dead. Yeah, goes, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But after that may be the case. Uh, anyway, I'm gonna keep talking. And he goes on to talk about how once it happens, um, he may run into issues with the Christian regents. Now, Yabu, or I mean, Ashidu feels the need to stop him. Get on record. The council is united. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Totally. But go on. Completely. But <laughs> the Tuesday after I'm dead. <laughs> and he goes on. He goes, look, you know, um, what might happen when Toronag is impeached and dead? Um, and with you, uh, with you and him as his ally, Yabu's like, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Anyway, yeah, 100%, 100%. Uh, I'll be dead too. But anyway, you'd have the most power and uh, you'd have to contend with the Christian lords with their Christian support. And he goes, yeah. Well, with the Portuguese uh, backers. If, if that happens, uh, it's a war I'd probably lose. And Yabu says, but if you had this barbarian and a vassal, you know, just a humble vassal servant, somebody, I don't know, anybody. I mean, yeah. take a look around. Anybody could do the job someone to control him things might be different and yeah. she smiles and said well it's a shame i had him killed i've sent him to his execution the regent christian regents demanded it there was nothing i could do lord ishido me lord yabu i think i could help you with this problem just 
So just trust I me on like, this. I love that Yabu's doing Yabu things. <laughs> Always doing character. Yabu things. He's a fantastic character. He's clearly playing both sides here. But what's interesting to me is Ashidu said this sentence. There was nothing I could do. I think right there, Your Honor, I only need one piece of evidence to submit to the court that Ashidu, whatever the not equal sign is, I guess it's just not equal, uh, uh, Tornaga. Uh, you would never, ever, ever hear Tornaga say there was nothing I could uh, do. Uh, 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 you, you, you were a leader, you lead a team, and you deal with a lot of other leaders. A failure of an imagination is, all, is, a ser- is a serious problem in terms of success of leadership. And we are seeing here that Ishido has a fundamental failing of imagination if he thinks that with this scenario painted before him, his back is against a wall. Unless you feel that, unless you feel like he's trying to be manipulative of Yabu, but I don't kind of get that read from this particular conversation. Fantastic, fantastic way to explain it. A lot more succinct than I was going for. He is for him to just wave the white flag and say, "There's nothing I could do. I just had to kill him." That I mean, that is he gave up so far ahead of when Toronaga would have stopped. It's not the same book. Like, I mean, yep. Toronaga would have would have gone through 50 different machinations after that period before he would get to There Was Nothing I Could Do. Ashido gives up too quick. That's my final answer. Call it. Lock it in. But luckily, the man's apparently got a Lord Yabu who can help him with some of his problems. Isn't it good to have a friend like a Yabu around in your life? Then perhaps there's something I could do, dear. Ooh, there's something I could do for you. Ooh. Let, let's see what the plan in motion is, my friend. Well, then the guards come for Anjin. I like that they're yelling Anjin. There's some consistency there, right? Mm-hmm. How the people are talking. They're yelling Anjin. He goes, this is, can't be. I'm not supposed to die here. He tells Domingo to go uh, go with his god. And, uh, it, um, it's notable, again, that the, 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 this uh, father, this, this monk of the Catholic Church is trying to take his confession here at the moment. He's trying to grant him absolution. He's trying to save his soul, a soul of a Protestant, a soul of an enemy here in the last moment. Though he has been rejected by his own faith, the Father Domingo is trying to adhere to the tenets of his the tenets of Christianity, even in, even in these moments. Yeah, I mean I, that didn't surprise me. He's doing it for all the prisoners, right? Yeah, um, it, I, I would. It, it, I mean, but, most of them aren't Catholics, so well, even in, well, a heretic, a, a non-believer could always be saved. A heretic can be a different matter. Oh, I see. Protestant worse than someone who believes nothing close what well, I mean, they're, fo- they're they're following queen elizabeth sir i mean just utterly unacceptable you see why i i go so crazy with the one to knock their heads together and say it's the same shit guys like somebody who doesn't believe in anything sir, somehow like they, yeah yeah i could take his they but nail not, not the ten- guy who believes they in nail tenants to, they nail tenants to church doors they're just not people you want to associate with unbelievable yeah, so anyway, he does that, and then we have this scene. It's a, We can go pretty quick through this recap, right? Because Blackthorn is taken out, something over his head like he's going to be killed. We have this, like, really dope, older, like, you know, one more trick up his sleeve, old guy walking on the on the um, pathway here in yeah. front of the guards as they're taking him to execution. Just walking by, just coincidence. And that stops them at the perfect spot, right? So Yabu's men can come in, kill everybody, and take Blackthorn. Uh, notably, Yabu has two sets of men, too. He's got some bandits that he hired for the purpose of doing the actual killing, so he's got plausible deniability. And then he comes in with his actual samurai and kills and drives off all the bandits. So then we see Blackthorn, Blackthorn with Toronaga. Well, Kiyo was seen before then. We get to see Yabu and Blackthorn interact. We get to see Blackthorn reveal that he's learned a couple languages, a couple words of Japanese. And Yabu take pains to 
te- to teach Blackthorn a little bit of Japanese, he doesn't explain and treat him like the like a loyal dog. Uwara Anuja, Uwara Anuja, I am a dog. That's what he and Blackthorn says it and then says thank you afterwards. He, I, look, Mariko will clear this up. So okay. he's not going to be saying I am a dog. That long. <laughs> well, cl- clearly it's a way of saying thank you and you're welcome. There's no no issue whatsoever with that going forward. So then we get Blackthorn back in front of Toronaga, who's like, Yabu, what up? Like, what the fuck? And Yabu's like, yeah, total accident. Dumb luck. Can you believe it? I'm like, probably like the luckiest guy in the world, right? I know, it's crazy. And then Toronaga's like, you know, what's weird is that you do have a way of being in the right place at the right time. And he says it in such a way that Yabu doesn't go, yeah, I know. He goes, uh, like, uh I'm called out. <laughs> uh, he just goes, uh, and looks down and frowns. The air, Yaman, says Blackthorn's dirty shout out he is he really is dirty the air knows what's going on guy needs a bath tornaga's like yeah we can give him a bath here in a second but mariko's into translation so she introduces herself to him she says she's learned portuguese the language of their christian teachers he clarifies in a very spencer-esque way catholic teachers not necessarily christian one must be precise with these things um and tornaga says look um how's your prison stay hope it wasn't too bad he she says and what's interesting is that she doesn't translate perfectly at all in this scene. Right. She says slightly off that he's sorry, that he is that Tornaga is sorry that he went to prison. See, Tornaga didn't say that. Tornaga said, "I hope your time in prison wasn't too bad." That's a that's very different than "I am sorry I sent you to prison." I, I, right? She makes a number of these mistakes throughout. I love that they include that. I love that they include the fact that Father Martin Alito is a actually well-trained translator and translating not only the actual words but also the sentiment that is conveyed by them accurately whereas mariko is an untrained translator she's just learned the language and she's consistently making little errors primarily of the subject of bias but she didn't just learn the language what she she is i'm saying that she has just learned the language not that she just learned it tuesday but she's not a trained interpreter in the same way that, my, that my Father Abito is. The threshold, the threshold yes. of knowledge, just over. Yes. I got you. Uh, and so that she's letting aspects of bias, or letting aspects of her own not perfect uh, you know, fluency with the language, interfere with her ability to act perfectly accurately convey the words, the sentiment, and the intent to another person. I'll give you another example. I know I am considered an enemy in your country, but I assure you my queen is wise and thoughtful and would want to be your ally. She translates... He claims not to be our enemy and says his queen extends friendship again. He, this, this, this seems like a slight difference, but it's actually not. It's a big he one. Says, I assure you, my queen would want to be your ally. In the sentence, he's acknowledging that he's not spoken with the queen about you this, that he's assuming yeah. what she would do. She goes, the queen wants to be your ally. Now, if you're a leader and you are, you're fielding these diplomatic correspondence, that's a very big deal. Yeah, she screwed that up, right? One hundred percent. She, in some ways, she screwed it up in Blackthorn's favor with that one, because Blackthorn, as you said, was not sure. was representing. I can't speak for. Her. I'm not her assigned diplomat. Whatever else. Hell, even his letters of mark aren't from her. They're from the government of Holland. He has no authority whatsoever to speak on behalf of the Queen of England. But Mariko just indicated that he is the voice of his ruler. So then Tornaga asked him to draw a map of the world on the, the sand gravel I, that they're sitting on. I love this scene of him drawing in the Zen garden with this. Yeah, and he stands up. It's, I think it's sand, right? But it seems like very thick sand. Yeah. Um, he stands up and Professor Blackthorn starts his lesson. Um, here's the syllabus, everybody. First day of class, you're not just all going to leave right away. It's not a free day. We actually are going to have our, our lecture today. <laughs> 
and he explains that there's a limit of what he knows. Boop puts the limit on it immediately. He says, "Here's the here's generally the world, and here's the limit of here's where I don't know anymore." Mm -hmm. But then he goes back to the area that he does know, and he explains the Earth is round like a fruit. Now, that might may be something Toronaga knows. It might not. I'm not sure. But that's he starts with something pretty, pretty epic. Hey, the world's actually round. So. The edge of this map goes to the edge over here. Ba basis of knowledge that throughout cultures is the ability to sail beyond the horizon. And we already heard from Rodriguez that they don't like to sail outside of the shoreline. So they may not I, have I much of a frame of reference there. They may not know that they are. There may be flat earthers over there in Japan. I'm just saying. Um, he points out Japan and England. He says they came by way of the Magellan's Pass. So he's drawing the, the, the actual way that he got there in much the same way our podcast professional spencer explained it to us last episode bravo sir I'm you here for exactly you. the way i went to the same school blackthorn did yeah very solid magellan's pass we were the first outsiders to use it because spanish portuguese kept a secret right there when he says Secrets. kept a secret mariko's face starts to drop yeah. and her face as he explains a lot of this stuff and then she finally snaps at him later is really good acting mm -hmm. i felt like because she's she's portraying a lady that that is very stoic the vast majority of the time but in this scene her what she's adopted is her faith and the people she's trusted to bring that faith to her is being shaken so she she's really put out here in this scene i would say 100 um she can't so he says and for us it was and this is a complete lie this is complete bullshit but he likes to sneak things in, mm -hmm. you know, like I, occasionally I do this on the podcast, you know, I'll just be in the middle of something and then I'll just tangentially, I'll just be like, it's Spencer, you know, sometimes Spencer needs to change his t-shirt. Like I just throw shit like in that to try to give you a little hint yeah. that, you, you know, you got spaghetti stain on your t-shirt. I just do stuff like that. Yeah, thereby incidentally, but totally intentionally creating a whole mythology of me to our fan base. Oh, people. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, the comments I get about you, people clearly have no idea. We're going to keep it that way. We're going to make sure we're going to keep the secret. So he says, for us, it was safer to sail this way. Why? Because we had to avoid a Portuguese base in Macau. Oh, Blackthorn, <laughs> my dude. That was so good. Marika's facial expressions, just she's dropping again. She translates. This is how she translates that. Nothing about his traveling. No, Focus on the he, one that means the most to her. All she says is, he claims there is a Portuguese base in Macau. Yeah. Left out a lot of detail with that one right there. Some gasp in the crowd. And he goes, it employs Japanese mercenaries. I'm told you call them Ronin. A secret Catholic fortress used for gun running. Employed during an uprising some years ago. So he just drops all the fucking tea right here. He Throwing just lets it, it out. You see, he sees he's got their retention. And so he is speaking from the pulpit. And she, like, you know, like, just at gunpoint here just absolutely forced to says a secret base for gun running it contains ronin the guns were used during the uprising i think against the taikyo i'm not sure so that gets a lot more guests you want to explain ronin uh ronin samurai are in service to a particular daimyo a particular lord they are basically knights if we're extending from a western feudal perspective onto things where their lord has died or where they are not do not have a lord they are sworn to where they do not have a steady stream of income or land that they are connected with they become basically landless samurai and a samurai that does not have a lord that they owe service to does not have a cause they are committed to is a ronin which is you could view it romantically as some sort of knight errant but more practically in society it basically means a bandit in terms of what role they play because they don't have a source of income they don't have a cause they're committed to they operate as being little more than bandits or mercenaries that operate on the roads, disrupting trade and interfering with commerce. 
my impression is that you can have honorable Ronan. You can. But the but when you hear but when someone in Mariko's position hears Ronan, they lead with this is probably a less well, honorable person. Well, because in Japanese culture, and this is something the book emphasizes heavily, the concept of being a mercenary is one of the most dishonorable things you can do. The idea that you accept pay for your services, that's the reason by which you are loyal, is an anathema to their society. And mm-hmm. so Ronan who don't have a lord that they are sworn to, the only way they can live is either by being a bandit or by being some aspect of mercenary, including offering their services maybe abroad or to sources that would be disreputable in society. So that connotation with, you know, banditry or mercenaries nature with Ronan makes it the concept rather than necessarily the individual abhorrent to a lady like Mariko. Which is exactly why Mangum Talks does not pay you. This is exactly why we can't pay Spencer Honor, ever. Duty, we have to loyalty. ensure his loyalty. We got to ensure his loyalty cannot be paid for this. So he, she said, like I mean, she the way she describes this, but when she does it, even even the little bit that she's passing along, um, it it really, you know, you don't catch our guy, um, flat footed that much, right? Yeah, like he's you don't catch rocked by don't, this. <laughs> yeah, he is like struggling, and he's like, okay, like. Uh, uh, tell the engine later, I will want details to his map. She translates, and he says, "Not nah, fuck it, I'll just explain it now. Here you go. So this is the way to Portugal. Spain carved up the New World 70 years ago. They signed a treaty that split undiscovered land between them. Your country falls into the Portuguese half. This was as intentional as intentional gets. So it belongs to them. Yeah. He knew what that meant. He knew what was going to happen when he dropped it. And, and the, the show leaves this out, and this is totally historical. The Treaty of Tordesillas and, and several other ones that they did. This is presided over by the Pope. They got the Pope to issue these lines in terms of Dumb. how this works out. This is th- this is something they don't want to tell the people that live in these zones. <laughs> Toranaga says, uh, "Say what? What did he say?" Um, because she says, this is how she translates that, though. She goes, he believes Portuguese and Spain have divided up this region. He claims that Japan belongs to the Portuguese. And my guy Toronaga goes, did he say belong? Yeah, he focuses on that word. It's like, okay, I'm not questioning your translation, but we really need to be precise on that word right now. Repeat that to me. She goes, yeah, he said it. And someone tries to speak it. He goes, shut the hell up. And one of his sons. <laughs> and And he goes... And any God, he is good. Toron, I mean, Blackthorn is good though, because he goes, "I'm sorry, sir. I assure you, their arrogance is unbelievable." Oh yeah. I mean, can you believe these fucking people? Please tell him it's written into legal documents. Each Spanish and Portuguese has the right to lay claim to any non-Catholic land they discover and replace its government with Catholic rule. So he went right to the heart of it. Catholic folks. That not on. only do they, do they are they so fucking presumptuous as to say that they they because they split on a map and one guy signed mm-hmm. one guy with a nice hat but Ve- still he signed dude it was a nice hat like fly yeah. hat pretty pretty decent palace but my god he signs a piece of paper and that's mine the presumption of that not only that they're gonna come in here they can take your job they're taking your job hit right at him and she like this is where she breaks this is where mariko breaks because she just yells this is a lie she doesn't even translate she goes this is a lie yeah and he and she makes him swear by his god which is interesting because Mariko, unlike these fucking Western Protestants and Catholics who go back and forth as if the other's just a vile creature, while she did, while she isn't a Protestant, she respects the fact that he still trusts and believes in his God. Yes, 
She doesn't, but this is the first Protestant she's ever met. She doesn't have a concept to think that anybody who actually believes in Jesus would lie on this point. Right. Well, she's showing in maybe in arrogance, but or in, uh, ignorance, in ignorance. Um, she's showing a respect to Protestants that other Catholics don't show and vice versa. hundred percent. Western Catholics don't show. Yeah. Um, and she explains that she catches Tornaga up and he says the Portuguese want to replace all non-Christian rules with leaders of their own. Tornaga doesn't like that shit one bit. He asks Anjan what he seeks in Japan. He says, well, I'm kill all the bad people that I was just talking about. Like, come on, man. That's what what I'm leading to here. Avengers. And he's like, yeah, you should just quit that. Tornaga's like, you should should just quit that job because you're not going to accomplish it. And what's interesting is that Tornaga says it this way. You are outnumbered. Or no, she said, he says, you should abandon this war. There is no hope. She adds on to that. You are outnumbered. It is hopeless. So she... She has the general idea of what the person says, and then she puts it in her own words. It's probably, I would guess, if you're going to like translator school, like the number one thing they tell you not to do, yeah. probably. Keep your like, own shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, don't just like, you know, editorialize, but that's kind of what she's doing. He, but then uh, Engine sneers and says, unless I win, and Toranaga does like that. And, yes, he and does. This is an important line of the book. The lead into the, the line of the book is a little bit different, but the line from Blackthorn is effectively the same, as is Toranaga's reaction of where that clearly is like, we. I don't know if we've seen Toranaga like just impishly grin, like le- legitimate good humor, like much on the show yet, until that line hit him of where he seems almost caught off guard how much he's amused by that line. So the the podcast that we got to take down the official FX show. <laughs> that's our enemy. That that's we, our techie. Yeah, we've got to take that down. That's Ishida with the council, and we're just hiding in our quarters right now. But we got to take them down. Is led by one of the writers of the show. Now that that might be impressive to you, but Spencer has read the book, so I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of a potato. I'm, I'm, potato, I'm speaking right? from the source here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, she says that the writers' room viewed, and and I don't like this, but I'm just. how they wrote it they viewed Toranaga and Blackthorn's relationship as a sort of romance that's a way of looking at it it's not I don't I don't like it I I don't let's not speak more about it though let's come back to this at the end of the show in terms of the overall portrayal because I don't want to speak too much of our views on this for maybe buying people about or spoiling for people where things might be going well, I think I can do it without spoiling. Go on, I can go on. Just a couple of thoughts. Is that I don't like it because I don't like the idea that any two people who are establishing a baseline of trust and then moving forward for a common cause is somehow that's that's tied to what romance is, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it's a little simplistic, but I think it's important that the, the to know that the writers thought that yes. because that's how they're writing this thing. So it's something to watch out for. Okay. Um. So, uh, well, what a meeting, right? All-time uh, meeting. Uh, uh, 100%. I, I really would. I would have been upset if I called into that one. Yeah, I, I, that's one you want to go in the office for. And I got to say, this is this just tells me how little of I've ever impressed you with anything I've done on the podcast or anything I've done when I've visited you. Of However many times I have stayed in your home, in various houses that you've lived in, in recognition for me doing a good thing, you have never let me sleep in your room. Never let me get your room and you go stay in the guest room. In the entirety of times I've stayed with you. But Toronaga, that's what he gives Blackthorn right here. You know what's funny? Is that you're wrong. When? The night before I got married. Fuck. That's true. Other than we that one so time. We had so many people. 
We had so many people in that house. It's true. I forgot about that. I think we were all bunking two or three to a bed. And I think you were actually in, I think you were actually, you got, you got called in. You were in the major. So you were in the bedroom. I completely forgot about that. That is the one example, but that was necessity, not recognition of my achievements. Best friend over here. Look at me. Look (laughs) at the best friend. Clearly Blackthorn's (laughs) doing the best thing. Uh, Tornado's doing the best friend thing with Blackthorn right here. He's giving him his room for the evening. He does. He says, you can take my personal quarters. And he, what does he take? He takes the quarters that. So basically what happens is like, this is my understanding. Tell me if I'm wrong. Is that he says, Blackthorn, you come stay basically in my part of the estate. Yeah. My, my, my rooms. At Osaka Castle, the base of his enemy. But he specifically switches Blackthorn into the room that he would sleep in. And he stays in the room that common sense would dictate blackthorn well, he's still keeping the little tag on the door saying blackthorn's room toronaga's right room. He's, yeah he's still very exactly. clear to everyone who's in well, whose room is whose room right the marker board is up there and it's written blackthorn's room keep out in portuguese yeah. <laughs> the barbarian <laughs> is here of apologies for the odor and the other one says uh, don't come on here. Um, I'm thinking about things seven steps ahead. Um, Tornagas room. And that's in Japanese, right? So that's how he does it, right? Really smart move here. But I mean, Tornaga is displaying his intelligence in such a way that I'm even asking if it's breaking a fourth wall here. I, and this may be the most the smartest thing he does all episode and, basically this sequence right and again if you get we get always debate everyone debates in text and out is Toranaga doing something intentional here the f- now, if i i love television obviously sure, we, yeah. we love television we sit here and 100 we, we talk about it for hours at a time if there's one thing i don't like about the television medium is that Chekhov's gun is more pronounced than it is in a book yes 100 it's more and blunt they they don't have a lot of time to tell the story. They got eight, what, nine episodes, ten episodes, something like that. Um, twice we've got people looking at this armor, and we've already got Blackthorn asking Mariko about it. I'm just rolling my eyes. Yes, the armor is going to be important. We got to remember the armor. Got if it. They, Thank you. If they reference this one more time, I'll roll my eyes. But I've this is still I'm still okay. This is the first time a character's directly spoken of it. But if it starts getting referenced every other episode, I'm going to get annoyed. It was just two back to back. Rashido looked at it, and then of course he, you know, uh, Blackthorn looks at it and asks Mariko about it. She explains that it's something that he dreamed up, that it's Tornaga dreamed up from the age uh, of the Shogunate, right? Yeah. And that's he pulls the word Shogun out of that, so he's he's holding on to that word Shogun. She drops him off. He talks a little bit too much here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. You never, you can never hit a home run unless you swing, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. He already is interested in Mariko. Oh, I'm, I'm just letting you know. Already. Look at him. She, she, look at him. She's good looking, intelligent, and useful. What's what, what's not to appreciate about it? And her? he's also trying to poke to see how he can manipulate the situation to get out of Toronga what he wants. Toronga what he wants, right? Um, and he misses a couple shots here. But you got to shoot. You got to shoot if you're going to make a shot, right? So I don't blame the effort, but he does whiff here. Well, he whiffs to the point, this is an important language distinction, that, you know, when she says, you know, you're speaking too much, and also when you refer to me in the future, make sure you call me Mariko-sama, just so we understand ourselves. Do you remember from the book what the difference between uh, the sama and san honorifics that names are? I don't. 
Uh, San is just sir. It's just a, it means apply to dress that you apply to other samurai usually in terms of other uh, other peers or other uh, people in a position of respect. Right. Yeah. Sama is lord. Sama is decidedly above it. Sama is what, you're, it. is what you're referring to as someone who's above you in position along the lines of a daimyo compared to you. So, right. So, yes. All right. So when she's saying Mariko Sama, she's establishing you're still low on the totem pole here. It is not something that if she like really, really liked him and really trusted him or whatever, she would have pushed onto him. She's, she's establishing what she thinks of him. Like, yeah. like I, I, you, I'm not, I'm not that close with you. you. You you can barely see me. I'm so far above you. Let's just be clear about that going forward. Jen, Jen is Jennifer to you. Okay. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. That'd be an English way of it's doing Jennifer it. Jennifer to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, nobody. Yeah. You're not, you're not on the gin level yet, yeah. basically, as Mariko Sama. But I think the more important than that, because if she says, I would advise you against speaking out of turn, because he has this, he pitches this whole idea of like, well, your Lord's in trouble. I got a ship. He's already cooking up some very juvenile idea for Toronto. Yep. And she's like, well, that's so dumb. I'm not even going to address it, basically. Um, uh, so he, he whiffs, right? Yeah. But look, you got to shoot. You gotta shoot if you're gonna learn well, to shoot, Spencer. That's the rule of shooting. She's trying to deal with his whiff, but the man won't, won't submit to a bath, so there's nothing to do about the whiff right now. I know he's so, he he thinks he's gonna get the flux, is what he said. The flux. What is that? Cold? The cold? Uh, flux can mean different things. I usually mean, I usually interpret the flux to mean dysentery. So uh, unclean water. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, that is even better if that that's what he meant there because it continues to reinforce how this is a more advanced society. They, they actually really have, have clean have water. That with, yeah, don't have to worry about I, that. With I've heard the flux referred to as either being chills, but I've usually more referred to it referring to dysentery. But either way, he is viewing baths... Let's use as, dysentery. He's viewing baths as being dangerous to the health. The fact that he's had two in the last week is shocking to him as is. And he really wouldn't want to die of dysentery here because then they'd have to put up a little gravestone that said... Blackthorn died of dysentery here, and then like nobody would well, catch it until like three or four periods later when somebody else is playing the same the, game. It, it's just complicated. Lee, if you would, would you please just do the shooting mini game for me? Because I can never ever shoot the damn rabbits that they're going by. Yeah, I can do that pretty good. Hey, did you ever have anybody? Um, we're showing our age here. When they played Oregon Trail, put cuss words on the tombstone. Yes, yes, and did then, that. And yeah. then it. Yeah, but see, my school was so cheap, they couldn't just toss the floppy disk, right? They couldn't just toss it. Saved so, forever. So, in, no, what they did is they, they made the person go play it again. To edit the tombstones? Yeah, to try to edit it. Yeah, they made them go play, play it again. To roam the entirety of the American West to find those tombstones they left there? Yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, all right, so we've now that every Gen Zer has quit listening to us, we'll continue. Um <laughs> So he, uh, she leaves him and back to Martin, who is asking, uh, Tornaga about the black ship. And he's, he is so cold with Martin here after what uh, he's learned. To the degree that Martin's caught off guard. Martin's just like trying to nice conversation. Like, you know, the weather is not, you know, it may get bad here coming soon. We need to get the black ship going so we can keep the trade going. So just, you know, so we can stamp the form. Come on, buddy. Let's get this done. Yeah, and he's basically like, look, I don't think I know as much about your operations as I thought I knew based on what I'm hearing from my guys. He doesn't explain very much other than to say, well, I know you got secret bases in our region. And that kind of shuts Martin up a little bit. He basically is like, look, we're not going to send the black ship out until I learn a little bit more about these secret bases. So then we see um, 
our our guy Martin who comes in and he's explaining the conversation with Tornaga and then we get the reveal that he's not just talking to his uh, Jesuit friends he's also talking to Kiyama and then Kiyama says let this be my burden father the implication there is that what's coming next comes from Kiyama and not necessarily the Portuguese but pff, I don't know and Kiyama says that seemingly in Portuguese pretty fluent Portuguese too which we did not know of him I don't know about fluent but he does it, say it, it comes across <laughs> If you're gonna, you know, use the English stand-in as the the one-to-one perfectly, not not the Mariko translation, but the actual translation of what it would be like in Portuguese, it was a little broken. Uh, okay, if Father Alvito is a ten and Mariko is a seven, it's a four, but it's perfect. It's perfectly understood. It is understood. Cut to Coronaga's quarters, quarters, and this is when we get that sort of ending sequence of the episode where. Uh, a couple female assassins do come into the premises. They are clearly going to a specific room. They do kill some servants in the process. A couple, couple samurai too. One thing happens before this entire thing starts, and that is that we see Turanaga getting ready for bed. He's staring at a sword, and then he sets up a decoy. He sets up a fake um, person, you know, sort of like rolled up. You know, kind of like when you, you you did a lot of this as a kid, I'm sure, whenever you would sneak out of your room and then go steal your parents' car to go drink when you were underage. Uh, and you wanted them to think you were still in there, so you put the pillows in the bed, that sort of thing. Uh, I would do that so I could sneak down and play on the computer. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically the same. T- totally, yeah. But this is again, hundred yeah, percent the do, same. It, do, is Torna- does Toronaga have a plan? Did Toronaga do the last thing intentionally? The fact that before any of this goes down, he is setting a basically a tr- a a dummy there on the ground. Toronaga. Toronaga always has a plan. That's the nature of the man. He strongly suspected what saying, I will not I will not release the black ship would do. Yes. He strongly suspected what that would do, is that it would place the area of emphasis directly on the engine. Because he, he was very clear with Martin in the conversation. Based on what the engines told me, I'm not going to do this. So he has the engine sleeping in a different room. He's staying in the room he would be, the engine would presumably be staying in. He has a decoy. He's got the sword. The two women come in as assassins. They're killing people. A couple servants do get killed. Is it, that does happen. Is it, that sucks. Is it two? Two or is it one? I counted two. Okay. Counted two servants that died. No, um, no, no. And then, the number of assassins. Oh, no, it's definitely two assassins. I, I, I only thought there was one. I must have, read, must have watched it. It's definitely two assassins, for sure. So they come in, and um, Tornaga fucks him up. Um, he, he kills the first one, and the second one is wounded and starts running at him. At least that's how I, I read it anyway. And then she she's coming at him. And Black, what what is great about this entire sequence is that Tornaga, of course, has the whole thing sort of planned. But we also get a little loyalty test for Blackthorn. He, he jumps right in front of it. He jumps right in front of it and takes a wound defending Tornaga, who really didn't need it. But nonetheless, you know, loyalty yeah. test. And I, I like the realism, too, of where I feel like in media there's a tendency to show, like, assassins as being invincible, as being able to defeat any warrior in any other situation. This lady that we see is remarkably skilled. She's very capable with her blade. But the way that she survives is by using it realistically. It's through ambush tactics. She's waiting behind doors to quickly knife people in the throat and move on. She's not trying to just square up with another warrior. And the moment that she does force to like actually square up with a prepared lawyer, prepared uh, samurai in the form of Tornaga, she loses immediately. Because of course she would. She's using a knife without any armor, without any preparation. So I like that realism that she's very skilled, but she's anything but invincible. And the moment she's taken out of being able to control the situation, she loses. Yes. 
Yes, I agree. Uh, um, it, it's also notable, too, I'm curious your thoughts on this. In the book, this is a member of the Amida Tong, which in the books is a series of basically Buddhist zealots that are uh, consummate assassins dedicated for, the, for their loyalty to the Amida Buddha by building their life around one particular murder or one, uh, one murder they're set out to do. In this, sh- the samurai recognize her. They say it's that servant or it's that maiden, and even name her by name. She's okay. Let's just say it was one. I don't want to get killed in the comment section for Spencer being right again. All right, it was one one assassin, but and killed several they, people. They knew who it was. Uh, but so that that implies that she has been placed in this household for a while, or at least in the castle for a while, in, in Tor, among Toronaga's people, meaning that she's been a set, a, a set operative for a while. So that, that, she could still be a member of the Amida Tong or whatever they whatever else they were called in real life or in the show. But she's at least been one that's put in place for a while, seemingly by Lord Kiyama. I think you got to expect some of that, right? Yes. When he's in the position that he's in, where he's being, he's staying in the castle that Ishido effectively uh, like manages right now, and he also is the enemy of Ishido. That there are going to be some plants in and around servants, different people that can be activated uh, when needed with that he can't that he can't trust, right? But anyway, at the end of this, somebody screams, "I can't believe Ishido would do this! This is war! We're going to fucking roll over him!" And he goes, "Nope, I don't think it was Ishido. Um, I think it was meant for him." And and if you are just someone who walked in on this situation, Tornaga doesn't give you enough background to understand why he came to that uh, decision. Mm-hmm. But we know, we know because he set the, he set the hook this was the, when he said, no, I'm not sending the black ship. I'm not sending the black ship because of, because of what this guy told me. And then that very night this happens. This is in some ways Toronaga verifying the information that Blackthorn just gave him. About oh you're saying that they're involved in our politics you say that they're actively trying to intervene they're actively trying let's to control things let's see if they things. want to shut you up let's test this live fire right now and let's use you and basically me as bait to make to, to actually put it put put it in motion and it right. plays out the way he expects there we go recap done we did it it's a, it was a damn good episode you actually brought me around to a few points that you're right a lot of things actually do happen in this episode I think maybe some of the scenes we emphasized as being a little bit um, unnecessarily coarse a little bit too blunt about themselves a little bit too direct about where the book is otherwise rather subtle kind of rubbed me the wrong way a bit but overall episode i thought was very solid had a lot of great moments and a lot of great build for where the show's going great all right i'm glad i brought you around a little bit glad you came around a little bit i don't know if i did it but i came around a little bit that there there was some forward movement in this episode 100 um and it was it was for me, anyway, a very enjoyable episode. Okay, let's jump to our segments. Let's do the segment, Spencer. Uh, People want to hear them. Sh- shall I offer you a few best lines of the episode for you to pick between? Yep. Uh, early one from the Tycho. So strange, this life, just a dream of a dream. I like the poeticism of that. But we see death poems are really going into the nature of these characters. It's part of an aspect of being a samurai. Uh, on the complete opposite end of that, the Lady Ochiba telling us a lot that we need to know about her character. Or maybe God's kingdom is up your own ass. Have you thought about that? Lady doesn't have much respect for the Christian Church She's and their tough, influence. She's tough, ain't she? I like her. Oh yeah. Uh, from Toranaga, uh, him of the Taiko talking. We've shit too many times in the same pot to piss on our own feet. No jokes. Not going to reference that one. Okay, moving on. Uh, I still am keeping my one ticket. I'm holding it. <laughs> a man, man of honor, right here. Uh, from I referenced the one from Marika earlier. My faith would not be sincere if it could not be tested. Uh, also from the Taiko earlier. I like that one a lot. Teach him the greatest lesson. The man who stands at the greatest height is the loneliest in all the realm. Which, as you said, was very meant, much meant to be symbolic of the journey that several characters are going through. 
Uh, what I liked about Vito, I may be your assassin, John Blackthorn of the Erasmus, but I am. I may be your enemy, John Blackthorn of the Erasmus, but I am not your assassin. That you will do yourself. Uh, two more, and I would commend my soul to God, for surely I would die by the hand of an enemy like you. Very good line from Blackthorn in terms of working to earn the affections of Tornaga, but the one that actually seals the deal, unless I win. Por- important line that clearly has quite an effect on Tornaga when he hears it. I'm going to go with this one. It's a strange one, but I liked it because of what I was talking about, which it provides forward movement in the plot. It also establishes um, what, like, it, it lays the groundwork for a really big plot element. It's kind of the it's kind of the what of all of this. It answers the what, and that's Blackthorn standing there giving his lecture, and he goes, "This is the way Portugal and Spain carved uh, up the world seventy years ago. They signed a treaty that split." undiscovered land between them your country falls into the portuguese half so it belongs to them when he drops that that's the what that's the so what of all of this what is this matter what is this going to matter to him now we know why it matters that's the moment where the room gasps they actually literally gasped with that information so clearly it rocked the entire audience when they heard it well yeah i mean these are uh, these are proud proud people more advanced people um, maybe not in seafaring, but like in how to fucking manage a country, they're doing a much better job. And like, also uh, are not pushovers, like in any sort of war. And they just heard, yeah, these people think they own you. The Portuguese, who you're trading with, who you're helping get all these profits, they think they own you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord in heaven. Yeah, that's the big deal. Um, all right, there you go. Winners and losers. Uh, win- winners and losers. Uh, I've got a nominee for winner, uh, just in terms of most forward momentum in any one given episode, but my man Blackthorn gains some ground in this episode. He really does. I mean, the, he goes from being effectively a chained prisoner, because that was the first moment, the last moment we saw him in the last episode, and his first moment in this one, going to be an actual prisoner in a pretty much a hellhole of a prison, to now being given the room for the evening of the most powerful individual lord in all of Japan. The Japans, sorry, among the Japaneses. So, in terms of just meteor, you know, a proper just explosive rise, I don't think you can do much better than that in a one-episode time period. You can't. He is the winner. I think the more interesting discussion is honorable mention, and I'm going to go with Mariko here. Mariko's an interesting pick. Um, I appreciate that one. It, Tell me. You kind of have to. You kind of have to deal whenever you're you're gauging her forward movement in any episode. I think you're going to have to gauge it in two two lanes. What's going on with her family life and what's going on with her professional life? She's making a lot of movement in her professional life. She's gaining the trust of Tornaga. She's in the room where it happens, folks. She's she's in there. She's making making moves. She's now the primary translator, even though she's not that good at it. With my guy uh, Blackthorn, her family life stinks because she's married to an asshole. But she's still making a lot of forward movement in her in her work life, and I think that you have to give her some credit there. I mean, other than that, I'm not sure there's very many people you could look at uh, for winner. Uh, I mean, you know, our guy Toranaga gets a lot of wins, but I'm not sure he made a lot of forward progress. I, I want to do a subcomponent of that because you called me out on it last episode, and I hated you for it, but. Guy who most thinks he's a winner of the episode, but isn't. Um, <laughs> a Yabu? Lord Yabu. Totally Yabu. Yabu it's think, totally Yabu. Yabu th- he might win this every week, y- by the way. Y- y- Yabu <laughs> he always to- thinks he's doing well. Yabu thinks he's playing all sides and getting all the cards, but that moment when Toronaga just looks at him and says, you really have a tendency to be right where the action's happening, don't you? It's like, oh, I just got called out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, yeah, he gets... 
he gets hit with that and it's just clear that he his attempts to play both sides have not gone unnoticed and he doesn't have a lot of trust there from Toronaga. so yeah he's a guy who thinks he's winning but he's not necessarily winning losers i got a nominee uh tell me because i have got one too i would say father uh delacqua but i think his stand-in because we don't know him all that well we have to say father martin I, I would fundamentally agree. The Jesuit order themselves have been rocked by the information that has been released to the broader public. There was a data hack, and people's confidential information is now being used by forces outside of their control. And it may have a serious effect on their ongoing business operations. Yeah, I think I think it would. It's probably Delacqua, right? Because he's the he's, he's the, the leader. Yeah, yeah, he's the one making the decisions. But we only we get so little of him that like. He had to remind me of his name. I'm not sure people would have caught his name. So I think we could say Father Martin, but they're the big losers here. Um, I think Ishido is treading water, but he certainly didn't win because he tried to call for a vote and basically got rebuffed by the council. Yeah, I don't think he lost ground necessarily. Maybe not yet. He still is holding a lot of cards, but I would agree that he had hopes this episode that were not realized. He certainly didn't move forward. All right. Um, Culture clash? Culture clash. Let's hear it. Bathing. Bathing, I like that bathing is now front and center for being a culture class in the show. Because how often does bathing culture class show up and show up back in the books? I mean, for the first three, four hundred pages, almost every ten pages, it comes up a lot. That the basic standards of cleanliness could not be more night and day during during this era of European versus Japanese history. And Blackthorn is a representative of that. The fact that he feels like he's been bathed twice is entirely excessive for this particular period of time, and outright refuses the opportunity to be bathed again by the three ladies that are waiting for him to do so. To the degree that Mar- if, I, if he could have said something that just even more convinces Mariko that she's dealing with an utter savage barbarian right now, I don't... It, this was a very effective, streamlined way of doing so. So we've already done the, the segment of the, the Japanese word of the week. We already got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tiki, the, the, the enemy, right? Yep. Um, so there, there's our Japanese word for the week. And then our final segment here is why Lee wants to go to Japan this week. And I'll tell you, this segment is not always going to be logical. I know that's shocking based on, you know, the name of it, which is just such a upstanding, um, highbrow, an intellectual name for a segment. But it's not always going to be reasonable. This week, it's not reasonable. I want to go to Japan this week to go to sleep. Did you see how dope everything was when they were preparing to go to bed? Holy shit. They had uplighting. It was dark in all those rooms. Everybody had their own room and multiple blankets. They had tons of space. It, there was guards everywhere to make sure you were okay. Like, wow. It was a really, really sweet spot to go to bed in. Now, this obviously makes no sense because I'll be going over there and staying in a Hilton. It'll look like every other hotel room except maybe a little smaller. But in my head, <laughs> in your head, you're going back to the year 1600. The moment you get off the plane, I'm going to be in Osaka Castle, and I'm going to be sleeping in, in that really neat room. All those rooms they had, and all the little soft lighting, and all the little touches they had to make sure everybody sleeps well. Uh, for for me, because I like to contribute too. Even this is your, your segment, though. I yeah, really want to go see a proper rock sand garden. Uh, in terms of walking through those so carefully manicured, manufactured, maintained gardens of peace and zen tranquility. God, those looked gorgeous. God, those looked expressive. Those are very much something I want to explore after I get off the plane to Japan. There is a... I'm just telling you this is your friend. 
there is a very high likelihood that if you seek those out, you will walk over them in areas you're not supposed to walk because 100%. you're fiddling with your phone or talking to somebody else. There is a really high chance that that'll happen. I'm not saying it'll happen, but it, there's a probability. I am expecting it'll take one look at me and just go, no. You, you, you and Zen do not work well together. You can watch from over here. Uh, yeah, I don't peg you as a meditator. Not, I'm not has sure you're meditate. You mediate. I'm not sure you meditate. Different categories of things. <laughs> what a fun episode. This is great. I enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Spencer. Anything you want to say before we wrap up? No, I think we've had good, uh, two very good episodes to start the show off. It gives me a lot of confidence of how well this show can do and how confident and skilled the makers of it are in terms of wanting to bring one of my favorite books ever to the screen. So... I'm excited to see where things go from here. Yeah, so far it seems like a worthy adaptation, and they're sticking fairly close to the book, not perfectly, but they certainly aren't taking big, hard, you know, turns, right? right. They're they're generally driving toward the same place. I'm really excited. I'm enjoying the podcast, doing it with you. Thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you. We hear you. We see you. We appreciate you uh, listening and uh, subscribing and commenting and chatting with us and letting you know your thoughts on the podcast. Uh, please do more of that if you'd like to. You can find us on X at Mangum Talks or Facebook.com slash Mangum Talks or www.mangumtalks.com. Click the upper right-hand corner, the form contact us, fill it out. Boop, click send. It'll come right to me. I will pass along the Spencer if need be. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week for episode three.